performer acting like that's sometimes where i draw like a feeling from because it's like i've never experienced that feeling in my life but i remember how i think i felt the other person feel in that moment and so i just dig into that like what happens if i was literally experiencing that what happens if i was experiencing that through this character this character is literally experiencing that let's dig into it like what are the compounding factors and then like just going there getting dark getting deep and like it's been a lot of work. Like a lot of things, the way that you see who I am today is, is a shit ton of work. I like, I never feel like I'm ever put on idle. Like I don't just like, I don't, I don't have an idle switch. I'm just like, Oh yeah, whatever. It's cruise baby. Hey, welcome to humans and magic. My guest this week is Michael Sinclair. The second Michael is a tabletop RPG performer, voice actor, and magic content creator. We had a lot of fun. Please enjoy. Thank you for listening to the audio version of Humans of Magic. There are some additional ways to support the show if you are so inclined. Number one, please tell a friend. Please spread the word. If you really like what you're hearing, please let your friends know. Please tweet about it. Please spread the word. Number two, you can follow us on our other social channels. Go to humansofmagic.com. You'll see all the links there. Please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel. I'm trying to grow the YouTube channel a little bit. There's also some other fun stuff like vlogs, clips, and various things that are fun for the visual medium. You can find everything at humansofmagic.com. Last but not least, you can consider subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash humansofmagic. I do Humans and Magic part-time. It's a labor of love. It's a hobby. I try to make it rewarding for listeners. And I also challenge myself. I challenge myself to have weekly releases every Tuesday. But along with that is also the real-world considerations, the time and the cost involved to deliver a high-quality episode week in and week out. Any extra support you can throw my way would be greatly appreciated. So, yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get on with the episode. All right. Michael Sinclair II, thank you for being here. Yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, I've been excited waiting for uh, this opportunity, so I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I love your stuff. Love your interview style. Just, I'm, I'm stoked. Hey, thank you for listening. I know you've been also public about just listening on a few episodes. It's always nice to have a... A listener because half of the time people coming into this have no idea what they're in for so there's just like <laughs> i'm gonna be here to just talk about magic right and then 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 the look of recognition they have when they realize that that it was it was kind of like that might no, not be no, the case no, no. Then, <laughs> then they're kind of like what's going on yeah no i i don't know i just enjoy content and so sometimes something will pique my interest and i'll, I'll look into it and uh i took a journalism class best like college class I've taken, even I'm a computer science major and like the way you, your methodology of methodology of like interviewing people is just very, very clean, concise, crisp, crunchy, if you will. And it's, it's I'm about it. I, I love being called crunchy. That's the first time I've been called crunchy. So I, I love it. Um, yeah. what, what's the best thing you learned from the journalism course? Uh, how to be inquisitive, like, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff is like misinformation stuff nowadays. And, um, it teaches you to kind of look at their sources, look at, you know, um, anyone who's like kind of co-signed with good, you know, reputation and also who's their target audience. What, 
what is their purpose of doing this? Is there any sort of gain, financial clout, um, notoriety, X, Y, Z, like what, you know, those type of things. And through there, usually you can break down further if this is like a good article or, or, or good information. So uh, I'd say that's probably the best thing I've, I've learned and it's been super helpful. And it also helps you to learn how to learn uh, too. It's one of those things where it's like one of the better uh, classes uh, to help you when you, you don't know what you don't know, it, it kind of helps you kind of at least scratch the surface and then start digging deeper. So I would say that. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's great to have that awareness. And do you have any aspirations to be a... I know you said you're studying computer science right now, but are you are you are you going to become a computer scientist probably journalist? Not. Or, pro, probably, <laughs> probably not, not a okay. computer scientist, but probably I would probably be closer to being a journalist, even though a computer science major. I don't know what I'm going to do honestly after college. Like, but I'm okay. glad to learn the logic and the philosophy of computer science, uh, and uh, I love like digging into topics and like social justice stuff. So those things always make me happy. So I have no clue. I'm just kind of leaving it open. Yeah, tell me about your major now. I mean, you're you mentioned uh, we were talking before, and you mentioned that you're uh, a junior, right? So you're mm -hmm. you're kind of over halfway uh, to the mm -hmm. finish line there. I've been a junior for like four years. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> <no>. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm, I'm halfway into my degree. Uh, computer science is a very hard discipline. Um, the learning environment and academia of computer science is very bad, horrendous, terrible. Don't let anyone tell you different. It's very much like you're not going to class to learn. You're kind of going to class to measure your bits. I'll, I'll just be like PG about it. Like everyone, it's a bits measuring contest. Yeah, and yeah. like How big and is like your bit, you, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. You ever ask a question, people are like looking at you like you're the worst being on planet Earth. And you're like, I thought we were here to learn. This is strange. So yeah, the experience yeah. has just been like, uh, it's kind of like going into a magic tournament and it, it's a magic tournament for like a week every day. And you're just like slogging through and you're just trying to make it and understand the cards and understand the stack every time. And you're, and then people are looking at you and being toxic AF while you're doing it. And you're like, I don't understand. I just want to learn. I just, I like this stuff. Please stop being so rude. And that's, I would, that's how I explain computer science. I can't wait for people to flame me in mentions, but that's, that's the God honest truth for me. You know, I, I fully sympathize with that. So I studied computer science as my degree, like uh, oh, okay. a long time ago. <laughs> I'm just and it, it sounds like it has not changed that much to be, if I'm being honest, like, yeah, yeah. The only thing is now is that you're older and wiser. So you kind of see past kind of the, the bullshit of academia. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But then the yeah. problem is that no one else has yet, or maybe they're younger and they haven't figured it out yet. Or maybe, yeah. they're, maybe they're just oblivious and it doesn't matter what their age is. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's like, you even <laughs> see older folks doing that. I'm like, what is going, why are you guys drinking the Kool-Aid? Like this, this is not okay. And yeah. it's not like a specific college or university. I've been to like three or four and they all are just like trashed here at trying to teach this. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like an ego thing. I think for a lot of people, I, I honestly think it is. It's not like, it's not like they're being super obtuse or oblivious. It's just, or maybe they are, but it's like it, they sort of feed off of being sort of superior intellectually, yeah, yeah. feeling like smug or smarter than other people. Like, that's, oh, yeah. but unfortunately, that's how it is sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm just like, yeah. this is the hard, one of the hardest disciplines. And it's a very communal discipline. It's supposed to be like some of the greats, some of the people who do so amazing have done things because they worked as a team or worked as a group or worked as a community or looked on the internet and like tried to get help from someone else like but then in in academia in practice in academia it's like you're isolated you're alone you can't reference anything it should be from your brain and like if you don't know anything get the hell out of here and you're like 
why? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That's that's my that's my two bits on uh, computer science. <laughs> I have to give one more bit, and this is a question for you. I still remember back in the day when I took computer science, you actually had to memorize a lot of shit. Like even for exams, you like you had to pretend that the internet didn't exist, and yeah. you had to remember like things that you could easily just Google any time in the real world. So do you oh, still yeah. have that in your exams? Yeah. And, and oh, assignments? yeah. Like paper and pencil shit where you're just like, here's a paper and pencil. You don't get access to your notes. Try and build like, you know, uh, I don't know, what's some, some sort of sorting out, like a Dijkstra algorithm on paper. Right. And you're like, you know, to sort out people's last names and money and all this stuff. And you're like what like this took me like <laughs> this took me four days on assignment like for eight hours each day and now you want me to reproduce this like on a piece of paper and pencil like what okay yeah <laughs> sounds like you're not having that much fun but i i just just to just to uh very clumsily uh switch gears because i feel like sure. i could talk about computer science forever oh yeah and... we could flame this forever <laughs> <laughs> this is the anti-computer science podcast um, hell yeah yeah hell yeah um you also met, recently moved right is that because of school or because of other stuff hopefully you uh, first of all are you getting settled in all right at your current location you're on the west coast now right yeah pacific northwest is the best uh straight up no one can contest that i will straight shout up out pacific northwest time. hell yeah yeah because yeah, used to be in vancouver i think exactly point, exactly right? i grew yeah, up yeah, very yeah. close to seattle so yeah so you know you know um uh i'm settling in super well uh places like decked out uh not decked out but it's it is very homey it's very it's very happy cozy I didn't want anything to scream bachelor pad, although right now you're only seeing this. There's supposed to be a couch delivered here soon, but everything is very full and, and I have plants and I have, you know, nice kitchen. I can cook. I cook my meals. Like everything is super nice. So, um, yeah, I, I've been selling uh, very well and just happy to kind of have my own space and call it my own. It's, it's great. Very nice. How's your cooking game? Are you are you very good with the, the culinary stuff? I would say I'm a pretty a decent home chef. Um, I can get around most recipes as long as I have the uh, the stuff to do the recipe. I'm generally pretty good. I think I've only messed up one recipe, um, but I think the recipe was wrong. Uh, and it was aloo gobi, which is like an Indian dish. And I messed that up. And that's the only one I've like actually burnt. And it was like, oh, there's not salvageable. Um, and that was just recently. But generally, I'm a, I'm a pretty good cook. Uh, so yeah, I take pride in, in kind of being able to, uh, you know, chef stuff up. I, I've just been, I've taken like some sort of cooking thing here or there growing up. So um, it's all kind of gotten to a place where it's good. And obviously like cooking shows and YouTube and stuff exists. So I just pay attention. Yeah, man. God bless YouTube. There's just, <laughs> you can learn anything, <laughs> yeah. including how yeah. to edit videos and podcasts and talk to people. So <laughs> yeah, there you uh, go. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what's the main reason for your move? Is it because of school or because of other stuff going on in your life? Uh, it's, uh, so I just got out of a long-term relationship. Um, and so I had a community here before we moved. Um, the reason why we moved to Denver, Colorado, this is where I was before, was that my, uh, significant other, they graduated PA school, uh, and they're very smart. They're like brilliant. Um, she got the top of her class in the medics program here in like, you know, the UW medics program out of all four campuses and then went to her dream job, which is PA, uh, being a PA in the ER. Um, but, uh, yeah. Sorry, what does PA stand for? 
physician assistant, which ironically oh. is kind of a job based off my former job in the military at Corman. So the PAs were created because Corman coming back from, I think, Vietnam or some other older uh, war couldn't come back and practice all these skills that we've honed and learned in the military. It's like you have all these skills and all these um, abilities and, and uh, certifications and qualifications. And then when you come back to the main world, it's like, well, you're literally nothing. <laughs> so they create a PA school thing for a pipeline for people who had my training to go into PA school and then come out the other side of, of being a PA, being able to work under a doctor. So that's what PA is. <clears throat> okay. So how long were you in uh, Denver? Uh, 10, nine, 10 months about. And okay. then, uh, I had to make a decision that, uh, was kind of like, it was a decision more of, I guess you could say self-preservation to put it lightly, uh, of like, well, I can be here or I can go back and, and be in a, in a better place to, for lack of better words, and to kind of keep it brief and concise. But, uh, and I already had built a community here and kept in touch with people here and, um, and at some point I was like, okay, I think I need to go back to where I have an established community and I feel good. And I love the Pacific Northwest. And I, I, I think it's a healthy place for me to kind of, um, reassess, kind of get myself together, kind of, uh, figure out where I want to go from here and like, uh, what my wants and needs and, 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 and kind of focus more inward, I guess, uh, where a lot of, I feel like I was focusing more outward a lot. So that's what I would say. Yeah, that's tough. It's tough. Always, uh, in one's life journey to, to figure that out. But, uh, how long were you in the Pacific Northwest before moving back here? How long was I in the Pacific Northwest before? Yes. How long were you here? In, how, yeah. How long were you here? Like previous, right? Cause you had built up a community here you mentioned and right. Yeah. Yeah. I th think 2019, July to December, 2021. Okay. So I want to say two, three years. Long. Yeah. Um, I don't know okay. the exact year, date, months on that, but, um, yeah. Is it Seattle or is it another part of Spokane, Washington? So I'm in out of Spokane, Washington. Uh, I did live in Bremerton, which is in the Puget, like Puget Sound area. I forgot how to pronounce that correctly, but yeah, Puget Seattle. Sound sounds right. Puget yeah. Sound. Yeah. So I was there, um, when I was still in the military and I think that was like, uh, uh, I know I was there for probably about two years. Um, yeah, well, two years. I also deployed out of there. So that's when I first fell in love with the Pacific Northwest is when I um, <clears throat> lived out of uh, Bremerton area for two years. Uh, so I guess collectively, I've probably been around here 4.5 to 5 years somewhere, give or take. Yeah. What's your favorite part of the Pacific Northwest? Is it the surroundings, the people combination or something else? Yeah. It's, it's like, oh man, it's the combination of all these things, all this, all these aspects, like the trees are just like, I, I've lived in deserts. I've lived in jungle. I've lived in so many places where like you get two seasons and you know, Pacific Northwest has all four. Um, and I like being so close to like cold ocean and I like the trees and I like the rain. like people complain on, on, on West side of the state, like Seattle about the rain and the haze and all that. I'm like, I love that stuff. Cause like, you can never get too hot. You can never, you know, get fatigued in a sense of like being hot or overwhelmed in some aspects. Like, yeah, you can get cold, but like, usually if I'm outdoors doing things like I am, 
I'm grinding or I'm like hiking or I'm running or I'm working out to the extent where like I'm producing steam. Like I'm just a generally hot person. So it's like, well, you know, this is great. I, I could just go forever in this stuff. And I know a lot of people like it really affects their mood where I'm kind of opposite when it rains, when it's like, you know, the worse it is outside in a weird mood, like I, the happier I am in some sense, it's not like apocalyptic. Like that's a problem. If like things right. are actually bad happening, like I'm not, you know, wild and chaotic like that. But if it's like, you know, within sustainable reason of like, however bad the weather is like terribly, I'm like the happier I get in a weird way. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And that's one of the things that like really attracts me to Pacific Northwest. Uh, and I love the, and the people and like, Washington state, I don't know if it still holds this, but like the combination of factors, like social factors, um, you know, factors of like mobility and like people being taken care of as a general thing, like an education and all that stuff. The overall score is number one in the United States. I don't know if that's changed recently, but like, if you get all the important state factors, like Washington's like number one. So, you know, we're just number one. So I guess that's why it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's great. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not American, but I, I always felt like if there was one state I would actually move to, it would be Washington state. Just, just by virtue of just all those things you mentioned. And I, I'm really an outdoors person as well. I enjoy going on runs and, and things like that. And uh, like, I just can't be in a place where it's too hot. Like I can't really, I can't see myself moving to Austin, Texas, where I hear it's like regularly you know a hundred right it's like over a hundred mm -hmm. and it's just like my body just shuts down <laughs> when i when i want to exercise my body just shuts down when it's Die. like a hundred like <laughs> like when it's like just slightly below that i'm like great i can run like 10 miles like even like 20 miles but it's like after above a certain point my body just says no james i'm not doing this today and yeah I just, I just start walking so no I'm pretty resilient, actually. I think I've just built. You must be, man. You must so be because things. of your your background. Like you, uh, <laughs> maybe we could talk about that. Like uh, you were in the uh, the navy, right? You were you yeah. were in the navy proper for for a long time, right? Yeah, I was in uh, I was in I was in the navy for eight years. The majority of that, I was a navy corpsman, so that's like a navy medic, uh, which normally. We could work blue side, which is like with the Navy side is what we say. And then you can work green side, which means like you attach onto Marine units um, and, and basically just do almost everything Marines do. Um, some Marines might contest that. Some other wiser Marines might be like, no, that's about right. Except you do a little bit extra and some, this not is so like much. the military version of gatekeeping, right? This is like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like you're not yeah, here, no. you're, you're this, you're not that. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. like some of the cool ones, like they know, like they know that sometimes like some corpsmen will overperform some Marines. Like that's just, you know, and then there's some corpsmen who are just dirtbags and, and don't <laughs> do anything. So it really is just it sounds like, like every industry there's good and bad people right yeah 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 <laughs> so no that's that that was my military experience was just uh being able to do all that stuff and like I, you know the biggest thing the sexiest coolest thing that like people just want to know is just like and you just give it to them because like you just like here's the answer you want go away <laughs> but uh, not you you can ask questions um but like I, the last platoon i really served with was a sniper platoon and that was really fun and cool and i got to learn a lot and like I don't know. It was just a, a really great experience. So, yeah. Okay. So, um, at what age did you enter the Navy? 19 years old. I was 19. So um, from 19 to around 27, you were, yeah. you were in mm -hmm. service. Okay. Mm -hmm. Two, now, 2009 to 2017. How did it shape you as a, as a man or as a person? Oh, this is a great question. Um, I think it gave me a lot of 
focus uh and it made me let me think it gave me parameters to be able to be successful like it gave me uh a container or something to be successful because I think without joining the military, I really wouldn't know what to do with myself. Uh, I have like ADHD. I mean, who kind of doesn't, but I have been diagnosed and like kind of the structure of it was helpful because I can only get so far, do so many things within the confined place of where they order you to be or do, or, you know, whatever that case is. And so through that, because it gave me structure, um, I was able to kind of re like emulate that in my real life, not take all of the toxic, bad, terrible stuff, but like some of that stuff is carried on in a good way. Mm -hmm. And then for like, it's good. Uh, and a lot of people like go into the military trying to not just because of the opportunity it gives them, but mo I feel like a majority go in because they're there to prove something, right? Like you're there to be like, like chip know, on I their shoulder kind of thing. Yeah. Like for me, it was just like, you know, I was kind of a, a scare, like a, a scary, scaredy boy growing up. And like, um, I was like, maybe the military will teach me how to be, let, give me more courage or like not be such a scaredy cat in some ways. And which is true. And then like, you know, you get pushed to your, your boundaries and stuff like that. And you figure out, you know, who you are in some ways. And it also helped in like what masculinity was it, it taught me what masculinity was for myself like you see lots of emulations of toxic masculinity in the military and you're like yikes not that <laughs> and then there's other times where you see like positive stuff and so like trying to cling on to that or define what it was for me and then especially when i got out and reflecting upon all those things i kind of figured out like okay what are the important parts of masculinity to me that i want to keep and what are the really toxic stuff i need to leave behind and so um I think it was good in those both those ways. So it sounds like you really grew up as a person during that. Like it's it was your adulthood, right? It coincided with becoming an adult, basically. Yeah, in some ways, uh, I think it was like adulthood zero point five. Uh, like it gets you halfway through the uh, adulthood. You and this was like a big thing when I was getting out. I saw a lot of my very successful peers, like people who had high accolades and awards and, and just like were the go-getters and like superstars. And then they get out and they would crash and burn or be depressed or like, and these are things that affect veterans. And I was like, what is going on here? Why, you know, these are people who, who've done so well, who are like, who perform above and beyond where I am. And like, where's the fall off? Because if they're the performing superstars and I'm getting out, what is that? Where do I fall? You know? Right. And so I started trying to figure out where the gap was. And I, a lot of it was just like, being able to connect with civilians and being able to connect with just common people and what their problems are, what societal problems are, like all these things, which compounded into many other aspects of me learning about social justice stuff and marginalized people and what that means where I find myself, uh, my place in all that. But, uh, the original point was, um, uh, it helped me become successful because, oh, sorry it was 0 0.5 adulthood because it gave me a lot of the tools I would need to survive being an adult. But I think like right now, I feel like I'm somewhat entering a second adulthood of, mm. you know, all right, you got most of like the objective things you need to handle for adulthood, but you don't have like some of the subjective emotional, um, like self care things as an adult, which I'm, I have all the tools. I know all the knowledge from other things that I've done in my life, but I've never had to put them in practice solo dolo for myself. And so like right now it feels like the second adulthood. I, I get you. I get you because I think the, that complex just gives you one set of tools, right? It gives you yeah. 
maybe more the uh for lack of a better term like the masculinity or like physical fitness or mm -hmm. discipline but then those are not necessarily all the things that you need to be a fully functioning adult right which is kind of yeah. what you're alluding to correct yep exactly so um yeah it gives you all those like the the objective hard skills that you kind of need to be successful but you know some of those soft skills will be the ones that like kind of end you or, or like be the downfall if you don't learn how to do those things or adapt or, or connect with other people and so and what that means for yourself so that's why i would say like and that's where the peer that's the gap i noticed mm -hmm. when i saw like some of my peers you know hit big declines um and, and not be successful and like of course i want them to be successful but like right. those are things that i noticed and i was like okay I've identified the vulnerability. Um, now what do I do? Now it's time to get to work and whatever that means and like try to dig deeper each time. And then uh, through that, it opened up so many doors and 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 avenues for me for like knowledge and self-knowledge and all that stuff, so. Was there a particular point or points in time <laughs> where you kind of realized that after getting out of the the Navy, like, Hey, I needed to work. I need to work on myself. I need to work on these kinds of things. I may not have the, the tool set for it, but just having the awareness that you, you needed to have to work on it. Because I feel like some people just get caught up in never coming to that awareness or realization, whereas it feels like you have. So were there certain, was there like particular turning points in your life where that happened or? This one, no, this was really, like I said, like, I just noticed a discrepancy. I was getting out. I was, it was like a year out before I was, I was getting out of the military and I was like, I don't want to fail. Like, this is the scariest getting out is one of the scariest things ever because like, there goes your support structure, you know, everyone's that super, bubble, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's a safety net in some ways. Uh, so like, you know, in a lot of ways, it's a safety net. So you like, everyone's super excited. Like, oh, I'm never going to be told what to do again. You know, I don't, you know, I don't have to be here for this person. I don't have to listen to this person, but also it's like, well, you always have a roof over your head. You always get fed. You always have clothing. You always have, you know, all these things. And, um, when you're getting out, you know, that's when I realized I was like, this is kind of scary. Like there was that little thing that like creeped in within my, 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 my chest, you know, that little, like fuzzy, like bad, terrible feeling that you get. And I was just like, that doesn't feel great. Uh, I need to start figuring things out. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was that kind of sensation. And, and I think, uh, I was able to, um, at the time I was date, I was polyamorous at the time. Uh, and I'm going back into, into that currently, but, um, I had a partner at the time, uh, who was getting more into, I don't know what's allowed to be taught or said in your, in your podcast. You can say anything me. you can use, you can, there's, it's told, there's sure, no, sure, there sure. are no limits. There are no sure, limits. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So, um, I was getting into the, the, uh, kink and BDSM sex positivity scene in Los Angeles. And, um, I was in those communities for maybe a year or two or something like that, mm -hmm. but I got to learn a lot. It was like, kind of like a fast track of like not just about the, the, you know, the sexy fun side of things, but like really the knowledge about social justice issues and how it affects marginalized folks. Cause like somehow those things are interconnected of like the privilege of people who get to be in these spaces of like the sex positive spaces, the bink, the BDSM kink spaces. And like, because of that, like there was always like workshops of like, you know, um, how to engage in these communities while being like POC or LGBTQIA plus or, 
you know, um, or a lot of these people were trying to figure out their identities or themselves and, you know, had a hard time trying to explore those out in, um, you know, PVP society where like, <laughs> that's all I'll say. I don't know, <laughs> but then you can, you can go to these like workshops, these classes, these like, you know, safe space, quote unquote, um, where you can just learn and, and feel comfortable trying to explore things and they call it safe space. It's like kind of bullshit, but like you have the safe space to explore scary things, to explore things that are, you know, not so easy to kind of peel back the layers on. And so, um, because I was, I was exposed to that through all these people doing those things, that was like a majority where all the work happened. It wasn't like, yeah, the BSM kink sex positive stuff is fun and you get to kind of participate in some of those things. Mm -hmm. But like, honestly, the real work was just, um, figuring out how it pertained to, you know, marginalized folks or people who are like kind of closeted or people who couldn't be their true selves within society and how society kind of, uh, contains that or, 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 or um, disincentivizes it or like can make or, or violence can happen to those people. And so right. from that, I started connecting, softening up, starting to relate what's important to people outside of the military. And from those things, I think that's where like, I hit like adulthood 0.75 where I'm like, okay, <laughs> these three are quarters. the, the yeah. yeah three quarters so like these are the things that's really important for people this is how i relate to someone that's how i connect to other people like no one really cares i wasn't part of the military like some people do but like that's not going to connect me with someone who i care about or think is cool outside the military like these are the things that are going to connect me and so that's long answer <laughs> to what you were just asking was was those things no that's interesting so how do you even how does one even get into such a community like because i i've never had experience being in a community like this so yeah. it's not like you know i've been in, i'm in the magic community but that's just yeah. like you know i go to the lgs how yeah. do you get into the uh lgbtq bdsm cool. kink community like did you were you on forums and was is there like a site for this or like how does it work yeah 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 so there's a couple of websites <laughs> There's a couple of websites. Uh, Some I might have bookmarked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we don't change. Oh, hold on. Okay. Yeah, I, I see you interviewing style. No, I was kidding. <laughs> um, there's some of the stuff I, I don't use uh, quite, I don't use anymore, but like there's things like, so Facebook was a place where I found the sex positive group and my partner at the time was, uh, they were, they were a part of that stuff. And so it was an easy in for me to go. But then, you know, you have like things like FetLife, which is like a Facebook for like kinky BDSM thingies. Ooh, spicy. Uh, and then there's now there's like dating apps. Uh, I'm not going to mention dating, yeah. <laughs> dating apps. With, with genres, like, right? They have yeah, genres, just, yeah. Just DM me on Twitter if you want to know what <laughs> apps I'm using, okay? This is my um, curiosity as an interviewer. There's I have there's no other uh, reason for me to ask. I'm just curious. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, no. So, there's, there's an app called like Field, F-E-E-L-D, where it's like a lot of like poly... Um, kinky folks and i think like maybe if you connect with someone who's knowledgeable in a community mm. and they can such as michael they... sinclair the second yeah <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> um but you know you, you might link up with someone who really cares about this type of stuff of getting it to the masses and like getting it to people who are marginalized or not as privileged mm -hmm. to kind of get in these things um and they try and get you to like these workshop or these classes. And so it's like, usually you kind of have to find an in, not that that was my objective at any point. That was your, your question was, how do you find these things? And it's like, right. well, you just find like-minded people through some of these websites and apps that exist, or maybe you, 
you overhear someone and you like politely right. ask. I wouldn't ask. I wouldn't tell viewers to do this or listeners. Like, right, right, right. You have to have a certain personality that's very welcoming and inviting. Be like, were you just talking about this? And like, be cool and not like creepy. But yeah. Um, yeah. But these are the ways that you like find these communities. Is just like being generally interested. Mm-hmm. Also, be like caring and friendly and 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 respect other people's boundaries. And then generally, mm-hmm. you can probably find yourself in those places to like. Yeah learn and connect with people and, 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 and go from there, I guess. You mentioned this being kind of an intersection of different domains. So, you know, you mentioned the learning more about, uh, I don't know what's the right term, but like the marginalization of certain folks and, uh, in society, I would, I would just call it that. Um, what, what are some interesting points or takeaways that you can maybe share here? Maybe, maybe just a couple that that kind of opened your mind like maybe you didn't know this before going into it and and you kind of it kind of like opened your eyes right to help you become michael 0.75 yeah um so i think uh what helped me learn some of those things in those communities is uh a lot of the times these people are sharing things that are like, and I say like safe space, quote unquote, but it's like kind of bullshit because like you're exploring things that are like deeper, darker, sharing secrets that like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm trans and you know, it's hard for me to find people who validate my, my identity or validate, you know, who I am. And you know, this is how it shows up. Like I have, you know, family members who don't accept this. I have, you know, a partner that doesn't quite accept this. And then they tell the stories of like, you know, maybe something that kind of happened to them that wasn't ideal. Um, I'm trying to like keep up, trigger things away for the most part, but like, you can imagine what I'm speaking into. And then it's like, oh, you know, you're maybe you're black and you're into like BDSM King stuff. And like your family thinks it's weird or you're like, you know, um, you know, you're, I don't like using ableist terms too, but like, we'll just say what someone would use is like, oh, you're a sicko, like you're strange you know, what are you doing? Like, that's that nasty stuff. And so, and then like, you know, some bad thing will happen to them. And then you kind of just keep hearing these stories in these quote unquote safe spaces. And you're like, holy crap. Like that's, you know, that's hard. That's dark. That's deep. Like, goddamn, like that doesn't sound fun at all. You know, a lot of people like to say like, oh, the, you know, this side of the, the, political spectrum is like snowflakes. I'm like, nah, man, these people are hardest. Like they're, they're out here surviving. They're existing, you know, it's not easy. Uh, and you just keep hearing these things over and over and over and over and over again. And you're like, you know, hopefully for some individual, it's like, okay, I should probably look into this or like dig deeper. And so like, there's books out there that you can start reading or like, you know, we mentioned YouTube, like sometimes with people on YouTube will share their experiences about that. And then like, you just try and connect to it as another human being. You're like, you know, you put yourself in their people's shoes. Like if you've gone through something, sometimes you can, it, maybe it's not the same experience as someone else, but you can definitely like kind of sympathize or empathize and be like, oh shit. Like I can see how that happens or how you didn't feel supported or some violence happened to you because of the way you choose to show up in the world. So all those things eventually, and that's why I said like, you know, that's where I really learned how to soften up, how to connect, how to, you know, and it's not like I didn't hear these things when I was growing up being part of like life coaching and, and team trainings and all these other things that I've done. This was just a different way of it because, um, it was a different context. And then I was also older and more mature to able to understand some more of these concepts, but that's, 
that's generally how I, I got to learn about all these things of the intersection and intersectionality of like being disabled, being LGBTQI plus identifying, um, or, you know, being, that's what you are and, um, being, you know, POC or black or whatever, it, it just, it's all connects at the end of the day. And, and luckily, weirdly in some ways that like some of the sex positive kink BDSM stuff, it also like, uh, it also comes up within these conversations. So, yeah. Got you. Got you. So maybe it would be helpful to just retrace or go back a little bit even more. Can you tell me a bit about your, your upbringing kind of like, you know, from the very beginning, right? Even before mm. the, the Navy, like, you know, what, what was Michael like as a, as a teenager or as a, as a kid, like where, where did you grow up and all that stuff? Yeah, this is a great question. Uh, <laughs> scrap it. Um, uh, I, uh, so I was born in San Diego, California, um, and quickly then my parents didn't, uh, well, not quickly, but like my, I think my sister was also born at some point soon. And we were out of like San Diego, Poway, uh, Mira Mesa kind of bouncing before back and forth. My, my mom's, uh, parents or my mom's folks, she's Filipina. They all were on Mira Mesa. If you're like Filipino and you know, Mira Mesa, you're like, yeah, that tracks. <laughs> um, and then, um, my my dad, who's a Caribbean, Jamaican, uh, Afro-Latino, his family's out of Poway. So it was a lot of like moving, like, you know, I got passed around through like family members and stuff like that. And then at some point, my parents didn't want to be together. My mom ended up taking us to the Philippines for a bit. And then my parents wanted to come back together. So we came back to San Diego mm -hmm. and then San Francisco. And then this was like, so I moved a lot. So like this starts the arc of like, me moving a lot. So like when we came back to San Francisco, I was around five, moved to Orange County when I was around six or I think it was six, six or seven. I think it's six. And then, uh, from there I was there for two years in Orange County. And then I moved to the Philippines when I was eight, which was like the most tragic thing as a kid. Like I still remember it was my birthday and we were crossing the state line or the, 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 um, what was that called? The, the date, the date, the date line. I think it's the date line across the Pacific ocean. And I think like my birthday was much, it was like cut real short because, because like it was like the eighth and then we were like transitioning over. It's like, well, there's like a couple hours you get to your birthday. See you later, kid. <laughs> like, Damn it. And like on top of that, like I was celebrating my birthday in the air and then like the airline stewardess is who I didn't know. And like, I don't, you've probably been through those flights so many times. Like if you ever like watch the Shang-Chi moment in like, um, where they're in the airplane, uh, that recent Marvel movie and they're like chicken, vegetable or, or, or pork. And then they're like, I want this option. Like we don't have that option. And then you're like the other option, we don't have that option. And you're just like, and on top, like that kind of experience on top of like stewardess trying to do their best job to satisfy like an eight year old crying his birthday, like <laughs> all that happened, it was brutal. And then we land in the Philippines. Uh, and on that day, you know, we went to like this local, like food, like this, not food, but like, it was just like a, a hut that had food and they serve food and they, you can buy food and like flies were covering the whole thing. Like flies everywhere. Like they had to brush it away and it was just like waves of flies. And then there's like ominous thunder in the background, just like crashing down. It was like horrendous. Anyway, I'm going into too much deep. <laughs> 
if you look up this. if you look up culture shock in the dictionary, like that scene is yeah. right there, right? Trauma. <laughs> and then I was there from eight to fourteen in the Philippines, bouncing around from the Pangasinan countryside to Makati, Manila, uh, and then I went back to. Uh, then we moved to back. We moved back to America to Vegas, and I was fourteen and got another culture shock because I was Filipino as as fuck basically. And went to American high school looking like a black person, but not having any black person qualities because mm -hmm. I was Filipino as fuck, fresh mm -hmm. off the boat kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, so I was there for that long. And then um, 14 to 18 in America for high school, uh, went to the Philippines at 18, came back here when I was 19 because I was joining the Navy. So that's kind of like... That's kind of like the growing up, moving around stages. And, oh, yeah. And between that, like, I was... The biggest, like, things that I really did during that time was, like, gaming a lot. I was gaming a ton because it was the only way I could, like, connect with people being so transient. Um, mm -hmm. And then while I was in Vegas, I uh, the biggest thing that happened there was, like, I joined a team training life coaching thing from ages, like, 14 to... Yeah, I went through ages 14 to 19 because or something along those lines. I, I kind of get spotty, but like I did like the team trainings, the adult trainings. I was taught how to be a facilitator um, to like, you know, like, you know, like Tony Robbins type of things where you're just like, oh, you know, let's talk about a topic. Let's try to motivate you X, Y, Z. Um, yeah. So that was all that stuff up until the military. It was just like kind of everywhere ev like everywhere and anywhere and, and a bunch of life experiences all at once man there's a lot to unpack there well, let me let me try um yeah so, so i'm just like firing <laughs> off things forever no no it's good so is there something that you first of all i'll start with the easy one is there something that you is there still is there something about you that you carry that is like very distinctly filipino like you know from ages 8 to 14 because those are your formative years right so is it is it just the is there some aspect of the culture, not necessarily language that like you feel is like very grounded in you even today? Oh man, that's a hard one. Um, I mean, I eat rice every day. Like I try, like, you know, rice oh, okay. is like the rice is the big one. Like for staple. sure. Yeah. State rice staple. Um, it is hard. Cause I don't even like, I, I speak, I can speak to Gallag not as fluently as I used to. Mm. Um, so obviously I can do that. Um, uh shoot i i really don't know like what's something that's like distinctly filipino it's just subconscious so right do. you just kind of absorb it so maybe it's unfair to ask because it's just part of you yeah. yeah 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 i there might be some sort of things that kind of become oh here's one like um i have a i have an indoor pair of sandals like i have to always own I guess I call them sandals, but it's just like your regular beach sandals or whatever. But, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, but that's, a little that's bit... an Asian thing. I got it right here, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, you have the indoor pair that you don't wear outdoors. You exactly. just wear that. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. I got them. Always, so, man. That's, that's what I got. Like, till that's the day what's I up. die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you into? Uh, are you really into basketball? Because I, I think I think basketball is like a religion in the Philippines, right? It is. I try to get into it. That's not my sport for some reason. Like, and I'm sure I'm like five eight or five seven. Like, I am... that never held anybody back. All the Filipino players that's I've played with over the they years. They dribble. They dribble though. You get your ankles yeah, yeah, broken yeah. out there. Yeah, um, yeah. And they dribble in sandals. Like you will get you, oh, get, yeah, yeah. you get mixed up. <laughs> I used to play pickup ball in Canada with a lot of with a lot of the Filipino community, and they're like. They're just playing in like barefoot and in sandals oh, and yeah. just like, 
and and you have to always keep keep the ball up high because they would always like steal the ball like they're just very fast oh, with their hands so fast yeah. yeah um no i was more of a soccer player going up so um i don't know, just kind of liked soccer more and and i always tried to get into basketball it just didn't quite work out because like gotcha i think the threshold is just like oh i'm a black kid and like you expect, you know, greatness from the moment I touch the ball. I'm like, nah, like, I'm just, I'm having fun. I'm learning. Like, yeah. There's um, also all so the kids never... stereotyping. Like this guy looks like this. So he must be Michael Jordan or something. Yeah, it's exactly. Like... I'm like, <laughs> not really. <laughs> Everybody's got their own path. Yeah. 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 Um, so the next question is like, then going back to the U S at 14, you mentioned like you were effectively like, you you are I mean you are Filipino but like you, yeah. then you then you're immersed in that culture and you come back and did you did you have to feel like you had to deliberately change because you know how kids are right we're all very impressionable yeah. and like yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. you're really influenced by the friends that you have or just people around you at school who uh, who you know or bully you or don't bully you whatever right at, at least in my experience um, so how how did you make that transition was it like a was it a fast transition no uh, we'll get into that. Uh, so I'm also doing the classic Filipino knee up, like uh, my knees up. <laughs> yeah. That's right, man. I'm, re I'm resisting. I feel like there's so many commonalities. No, nah, bro, just... do it. Just do it right now. All right. This is, this is, if you're going to do it on any interview, it would be this interview, bro. What's up? The, 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 the unfortunate thing is that this chair is chair actually doesn't... not that conducive to do oh, to it being more comfortable. I'm, I'm in my hotel room right now, but I'll, yeah. I'll, I'm with you in spirit, man. <laughs> My most Filipino thing, too, is if I'm eating, like, Spam or eating, like, Tortang Talong, which is, like, this fried eggplant type thing with egg, like, I will put my knee up, I will eat with my hands, like, rice, soy sauce, you yeah. know, egg mixture, I'll just eat with my, that's another thing, but, <laughs> um, so, when I was coming back at 14 and, like, I was essentially just, like, straight up 100% Filipino, like, straight mm -hmm. up um and the transition was not good it was like people expected me like they're like hey what's your favorite rapper and they're like i was like missy elliott because like she was she was a vibe she was she was yeah, yeah. you know she, her stuff slapped back then but like people like laughed at me because like right it's not nowadays where you have a whole bunch of feminine rappers or, or female presenting rappers and stuff yeah it was like kind of back then where like rap music was still very patriarchal and and it was just Biggie or Tupac, right? It was just yeah, Biggie, Tupac, Fifty Cent, like all that type of stuff. And so I was like, no, like it's Missy Elliott, and I get heckled at for that. Mm. Um, and then, you know, I didn't know all the like Af African or African American or Black terms at that moment because I, you know, at that point I was still pointing with like my my mouth, like the very Filipino, like where's this thing? And I was like, like you can't see me on screen. This is video, but if you know, if you're Filipino or you know someone's Filipino. Who's like who has a very you yeah? Know, you've got all the mannerisms because you're, you're you grew up there. Yeah, yeah. So I was like pointing with like my lips and stuff, and and, and I still had like you know my accent was still like you know uh, Filipino in some senses. Like I still had I was still speaking with an accent because um, I had to like kind of get rid of that. And I knew that was a process. My parents talked to me like we all knew it was a thing when I was coming back, but that like held me back for like the first year. And then by the time you go into your second year, your sophomore year, like you've already, people assigned you an identity by that point. So like I was already wrecked. And so like, you know, in high school you have your like cliques and groups and like, I was part of like the misfits, 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 like thrice You're removed. You're in the deep like, cut misfits group. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, cause like, you're not cool enough to be with our kids. Like I listen to rock music, but like 
they were like rock rock kids who like that was their whole like life and being and what they were assigned and have bands that they're a part of or like go to shows all the time not that i didn't go to shows right. you know or there's the nerds but like you know there were the anime nerds before anime nerds were cool or like whatever and like yeah i listened and watched the anime but i wasn't someone who was like fully depth into the anime and then you had like your gamers and like you know, your cool gamers who are like, oh, you know, I play all these other things. And like, I was just playing Halo. Like Halo wasn't, was cool and not cool at some points. Um, but in my high school, it wasn't like the biggest thing. So like, I was like thrice removed. And like, there was like a group of five or six of us who were like, you know, yeah. and three of them belong to a family. I mean, you so just didn't like, fit into a box. That stereotypical box, whatever it was. Right? Exactly. So like, and that was the rest of my high school. Like I didn't go to any dances. I didn't do like, I like, you know, pariah, social yeah. pariah. And, and what was weird is like I had a secondary life. It felt like back then when I was going to these team trainings, uh, like life coach mm-hmm. things were like, I was more popular, you know, people really looked up to me respected me, you know, people, uh, I was, you know, helping other teenagers with their lives and adults with their lives and stuff like that. And then I would go to high school and then I'd just be like this, like social pariah. So it was very weird. Mm-hmm. Two worlds. Right. And, and back then, I mean, I can even imagine like just, as a, as a kid, like you don't really want to mention, I mean, you're in a, you're in a very meaningful leadership role as a, as a coach or in that, in that yeah. field, but it's like, it's not something you can just mention to your classmates. Just like, they'll just like stuff you in a locker. Like what's going on here. Right. Yeah. Like I'm helping out like people in their mid thirties through like divorces or relationship problems and shit like that. And then like, yeah. and then I'm also trying to like, you know, not get bullied in school. <laughs> it's like very weird. But I want to, I want to ask you though, how, how does the life coaching thing work when you're a youngster? Because it just like my, and this might be wrong. Like my, my perception of it is just like, you gotta be like an old person to be able to, uh, you know, help people. Generally you're helping people who are kind of less experienced or, mm-hmm. or, or younger than you. So how, how do you, how do you embrace being in that sort of leadership role at a, at a young age? And what's that dynamic like? Yeah. Um, I think it's because I already lived a very, like, you know, I I had my own traumas that my family had gone through and stuff like that. I've seen enough of the world. I've traveled so much, you know, I've met so many people. Um, I, you know, I was just still very introspective. Like who you see today is still kind of who I was back then, except, you know, more little and not as didn't have as much experience, but like that mind, you know, that curiosity, that, that, that drive to be supportive and helpful of other people was still there. So because of all that, uh, you know, I was doing the, the teen trainings from 14 to 17 and, you know, helping all these teenagers and doing that for enough years every summer. Cause it was a more of a summer program. Uh, and then I went to the adult training stuff and it was kind of like more the same, like a lot of ways, like adults don't really outgrow their their high school teenage selves and so like there's still something to connect on that aspect and like i would still say i was like very wise for my age back then although looking back now i'd be like i never let a 15 or 16 17 year old tell me what to do but like but honestly like that's kind of where i was mentally at that at that point in my life and still am in, in many ways of like just kind of being older than i am and projecting out and so yeah, I was just like, and some adults really didn't like that, obviously, because like they, you know, to some degree, it's true that I didn't have as much experiences, but the wisdom was there and like, you know, kind of the insights were there. So like some adults were much more open to me helping them out. Um, 
and really enjoyed like my perspective on things and were like, God, you're like really super wise. And so it was just like really validating in those type of ways. But obviously the dichotomy of having that and being respected by, you know, all spectrum of folks and then going to high school was just like, you know, I think healthily in some ways, like I just separated the two and just accepted my existence, you know, wherever I showed up of kind of what context I was presented in. So, mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of how I, you know, I would answer all that. Yeah. That's, that's really, uh, are there, are there tools that you learned that you're still using? There must be right. But what, what are some of the tools that you learned from, from being in that experience that you, you're still sort of using today or helping others with? I, I think it's kind of like people who go into psychology or, um, psychology or, or become psychiatrists or stuff like that. Like there's a way that you can kind of, um, I hate to say break down, but there's ways that you can be perceptive, I guess is probably the better word, perceptive of people and then start to kind of glean other things from them. It's kind of like playing magic, like the way that people play their cards and tap and shuffle their cards and the way that they sequence things and the way that they, you know, speak and the language they use, like you can assess a lot of those things. And like, you learn those things within those trainings, not in a creepy or weird way. It kind of just starts to organically happen. Like they kind of give you the baseline and then you start building upon it. And it kind of organically happens as you keep, it's a skill. Like you just keep learning it. And at some point it doesn't kind of shut off that like analytical perceptive part. Um, and so that's kind of what, uh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't quite go away. And that's kind of what I I've kept with me is just being very, uh, perceptive and insightful of other people's lives and their experiences. And then being from there, being able to connect with people. And I just care about people. I, I don't really like the thing that I've also, I'm really grateful is like, I don't have any sort of goal or I don't have any sort of like. I don't want things to be reciprocated. Like I will go almost to like there's no ulterior motive. I just want to, right. Exactly. Out. I have no alternative motive when I'm trying to help someone, even in, in brief snap moments or, or just, um, speaking to someone for like a quick five seconds or speaking or just hanging out. Like I was at the airport and like, uh, recently and the flight got delayed and someone, and someone else was with me and we were just like chit chatting and I was just helping them through stuff. And it was just like, no, I'm just, I'm just doing that. Um, and there's no alternative motives there. So, um, and that's something I'm really grateful that I've learned and developed. Cause like, there's definitely a wrong way to do that. Of like, and you see it happen in some of these like industries or whatever, where people just take advantage of other folks. But I'm like, no, like I just really like helping and I like people. And if I can find people who are like really nice and amazing and going through it, like I love working from that space. Um, so that's generally how I kind of like still apply and use it every day. Uh, it's nonstop. You can't turn it off. That's the only thing. It's like, do you really want to learn this? Do you want to learn this? You want to because you don't, you can't turn it off. And I, you know, if you can't handle that, probably it's, don't do it's, it. It's a power. It's like a superpower that you can't just, you can't choose to no longer have the, uh, x-ray vision or adamantium claws or something. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think that might be, that must be helpful. Not might. it must be helpful too. just to be able to being perceptive, just be able to like also see through people because I feel like also in the world, there are people that are not kind of like bad actors. Like there are people that want to take advantage of other people. So hopefully that mm -hmm. also helps you see through those people, right? Because there are some people that 
I just got to say, like, some people are, are kind of fake, right? They, they, they yeah. want to appear to be good, but hopefully that also mm-hmm. means you can see through those sorts of people. Yeah, I would say that, like, I'm not perfect. There's definitely times where I've got worked or, or whatever. But, like, you know, because to some extent, like, I like to buy into the, you know, um, generally like give people, people the, good, are, the benefit of the doubt kind of thing. Yeah, generally people yeah. are acting either within their self-interest or or trying to be good. You know, there's a balance of that. And um, and sometimes those align with their self-interest being also good. Um, but for the most part, no, there's there's definitely times where you pick up that uh, someone is probably like trying to clout chase or have alternative motives or be weird or fake or whatever. And actually that's been super helpful as I've gotten to like, I don't know what you want to call this, but like a different notoriety or different like level or status within the communities that I operate in, whether that's D&D, MTG, content creation, XYZ, like that served me a lot because I, the thing that I do, it's not like I'm talking crap or like, you know, trying to do anything bad to those people. It's just that, the ability that it gives me is that I get to really connect with people who I care about and connect with people who I consider like good actors, uh, not like the profession of acting, but like people who want to create a positive force or create some sort of positivity yeah. in their daily and lives. Maybe so uplift like, others as opposed to feeling like everything's a zero sum game, right? Correct. Yeah. And so that's much easier to identify. Like there's, you know, Joe Johnson who, you know, I, I'm in tabletop jocks with, or he, he brings me on and like, that's someone who I'm like, perfect. Great. Like, love you. You know, there's, there's Lexi, uh, black girl mage. There's, uh, Emily Irvelina, um, Brie, um, I forget her, Brianna, um, people who I like interact with twi- Twitter, like, uh, and, um, Josephine McAdams, you know, there's, there's just like these communities that I've built on, on, um, online on Twitter and stuff. And in real life, like obviously I have my community here in Spokane. It's just like, I just want to be surrounded by good people and like help them in their lives and also, you know, help other people. And then those people in turn, you know, kind of do the same thing because I've been giving them spoons and like giving them props and giving them energy to kind of be able to kind of fight through life's bullshit all the time. <laughs> Cause it's like, you know, it, it kind of is kind of the default of the world is, is out to get you in, in the kind of society that we, the successful societies in, in the world countries and stuff is a very predatory thing. And it's like, God, like, it's hard to just, you know, have people who are good faith and good faith, like succeed and do well and try and lift other people up. So I think that's kind of, um, what I use that perceptiveness for. Yeah. I feel like you have a good, you have a good perspective on things now, but were there times in the past where maybe you did get worked or maybe something that wasn't great happened to you? And like, if you can talk about them and maybe how you learn from that, those experiences. Like maybe oh, this you like were... so. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, this is like so boring. Like the straight up answer is like no. I've just always had these like headlights on. Like I, I haven't really got worked in a way that was like so um, detrimental that I have to speak into it. Like it's you mm-hmm. know it's a small thing. I notice it, and you know maybe I got worked a little, and it's just like, oh okay, I noticed this. Cool. I don't need to. We're good here. Like right. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, so there really hasn't been anything like that, I think, in my life um, that has had any substantial effect on me. And this is something I speak into, I think, on other interviews that I've had. But it's not a fun experience. Like, it, to be honest, I'm just getting shorked all the time because it's like I'm constantly doing the work. Like, it's always active. And that is draining. That is work to kind of 
you know, facilitate, do I want to work with this content creator? This is feeling a little bit weird. You know, do I want to continue working with these people, you know, um, because I've noticed these little things and does that add enough enough for me to say no to this project? Like, right. I, I take the L in different ways where I might say no to projects or I might say no working with these certain people, you know, and usually it's a good outcome. Cause like later on I check, I'm like, oh, that blew up <laughs> and I didn't have to be a part of it. Um, yeah. but it's a lot of, you know, front end work. Like you're doing the work all up front and yeah. not having you're constantly to react. assessing. It's almost like threat assessment or something, right? Yeah. yeah. So you're, I don't have to react as much. Uh, the downside is, is I'm, the work is all front loaded instead of having to deal with the drama as it comes or in the yeah. back end. Like, so yeah. I would, I would say that's kind of why, uh, you know, my answer to your question and it's not as fun or entertaining as, <laughs> as it could be in an interview. <laughs> that's okay. We don't need to have everything turn into a 30 second soundbite, uh, on TikTok or something. Uh, Fair. Yeah. Uh, also just go back a little bit, Michael, like, are you, are you at peace with your identity now, right? Because there, there's the there's the Filipino aspect of your identity. There's the African American mm -hmm. aspect of your identity, and you basically said that you had to embrace more of the, or not embrace, but like you you got you absorbed much more of the African American culture. Obviously, being back in America at mm -hmm. fourteen. So, how do you look at that today? Like, do you see yourself as? Uh, one over the other, or uh, how would you describe that? I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I kind of I'm curious. Yeah, um, couple things. Uh, I would say that I define myself more as a as a black a black person. Um, uh, and it's taken a long time. Uh, you know, I, you know, love my mother, love my family, but you know, in it, there's still colorism in the Philippines, not as much anymore. Like people love in some aspects, like Asian folks really love black people for what they represent in some ways. And, um, but growing up, it was something that I tried to shed away from, especially when I was growing up in the Philippines. Like that was the place where the ages eight to 14, I got called the N word almost every day, like the hard R like, Oh shit. Just yeah. drilled into me. Like, oh, man. and so like, why would you want to embrace that side of yourself when right. it's constantly being hounded? And so like, I really like stayed away from it. Like, you know, I would embrace my Filipino side and like try and act more white in some ways. Uh, but as I've gotten older, I've gotten more into like being in touch with my black side and presenting like just operating from a more black, uh, uh, what do you call this? Uh, like perspective or mannerism. And it's true. Like what people see, if I'm walking down the street, someone will probably more identify me as being a black person than, you know, being Filipino straight up. Like, there's only some times where a Filipino will be like, mm, I got you. Like you're Filipino. Um, you got the sandals, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the sandals. Yeah. 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 You have to be at your place though to know that. So yeah. 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 Um, and sometimes I'll catch Filipino slipping. Like they'll say something and I'll just, I'll, I'll rip back at them in Tagalog. Like, oh, oh, shit, yeah. They, do, they, 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 think, percentia, they think you percentia. can't understand. That's, that's, yeah, the, yeah, that's yeah. the funnest, <laughs> that's the funnest shit, man. I tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so good. But, um, but I like it, 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 now that I've kind of felt very secure in my blackness and what it's that meant, especially within the, 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 the context of black lives matter and all this other, like social awakening, but also so social, like sleeping. Cause it's coming back, going back to kind of like more of like, uh, business as usual, whatever black business. Uh, um, but I'm also like trying to get back into like my Filipino side and, and family and stuff like that. Cause I've kind of, um, put that on the back burner and like, 
if you look at my mom and my sister, they look a little bit more Filipino than I do. I look definitely more black. And so it's always just kind of like a balancing act in that sense. Um, but I would, I would, I would say that like, you know, on my, on my, and most of the things I answer, if there isn't like a way to kind of be multi-ethnic on a, a answering thing for like school or work or driver's license or whatever, I just put black. Cause it's just like, well, that's my experience every day, to be honest. And so, um, and th it's probably safer for me to operate from that standpoint than to, to kind of try and operate and say like, I'm Filipino, like, you know, um, so yeah, I, I would say that I kind of more identify with like, you know, the black side of me. Yeah. I get you. I get you. Okay. So let's, let's talk about how you got into content creation because, oh. uh, I believe that you sort of made your, made your inroad, uh, first through D and D if I'm not mistaken, can you tell yeah, me the story yeah. of how you, how that happened for you? Yeah. Um, so how that happened was I, okay. So, uh, my last deployment with sniper platoon, I knew that we weren't going to be around like a bunch of electronic, like be like, cause sometimes you can like bring your video games or Xbox or consoles or whatever. And like sniper platoon, sometimes you're just like out in a place where there's no electricity or internet or whatever. So I was like, um, it's kind of hard to play. Halo, get... Yeah. If, if yeah. 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 So I was going to go into D and D and what got me into D and D is I was actually already. So the transition to D and D happened from Felicia days, the guild, she had this YouTube series called the guild. I watched it. I was big into World of Warcraft. That was like a lot of my gaming between Halo and, and World of Warcraft. That was a lot of my gaming. And so Felicia Day then through that successful thing of the guild, I think she started the Geek and Sundry channel and Geek and Sundry. Like I was just watching all the shows like B. Dave Walters, you know, um, ask your, 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 ask a black nerd or ask your black nerd friend or something like that was on there. And like a bunch of other cool things like tabletop day with Will Wheaton and all those folks. And then critical role came on and this was when like the first episode aired and there's like 12 viewers in there. And I was like one of 12, like, you know, people like to like gatekeep, like, Oh, you haven't been a critical role fan. I'm like, bitch, shut up. Like if someone enjoys it, like let them I was fucking there enjoy it. Doesn't day fucking... one, right? Yeah. I was day one. Like day I'm one, day baby. one. Yeah, day one, like, you know, you hear Joe Johnson say, like, I'm his day one. Like, I was Critical Role's day one. Like, I was straight off straight in up. that Mofinky yeah. from the rip. And I'm like, I'm not, you don't see me gatekeeping people. Um, But I watched that and I was like, oh, this is a thing you could do on deployment. And, like, this seems really fun. And, like, mm -hmm. and I know I had to just Dungeon Master off the rip um, because no one else is going to do that. And so I Dungeon Master for, like, Marines and Sailors on that deployment. And then I would talk about my experiences on Twitter I already had like a thousand or so people because I used to be really big into like keep calm chive on, but that community is weird and I don't we don't talk about that. <laughs> but then I got into like D and D stuff and I was just trying to be helpful to other people who were like exploring D and D, understanding D and D, trying to like improve and like my experiences and what I can say to them. And then through that, people were like, "Oh, Michael, you should like really apply to this 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 uh, channel called Encounter Roleplay because they're having like." Uh, open casting. And so I joined open casting. I was like, I really want to be a player. I've been the forever DM at that point for like three years. Um, they're like, uh, Hey, we'll take you, but you're the only person who's in the cast who has any DMing experience. Can you just DM and then we'll be, let you become a player later on? And I was like, sure, we'll do that. I'll concede to that. Yeah. And that's how I got started into content creation was through encounter roleplay picking me up. And then it was just show after show after show after show, like kind of getting lucky. I understand my privilege and the luck that I've had to kind of like 
kind of just jump into next project into next project. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had some friends who've kind of helped me along the way. Yeah. And that's how I kind of went from there is like Encounter Roleplay into Cobalt Press, which is a pretty big TTRPG. Uh, uh, what does TT con- stand for? Tabletop role-playing Oh, tabletop games. role-playing game. Okay. I yeah, got so they're big TTRPG like uh company that makes like additional content supplementary content content within house so i joined them and then i joined other bigger groups and then it's kind of just all rolled from there and then i eventually got into magic somehow by watching the command zone and and oh spell slingers through geek and sundry too so geek and sundry was like the big liftoff yeah with sean plot day nine Mm -hmm. uh so geek and sundry in many ways is what really like got me Mm -hmm. into all this nerd stuff and was like oh i can actually not that i can actually do that i just put in my mind like oh Maybe there's a chance I do this at some point, and I just I'm interested. So yeah. that's that's kind of how all that happened. I feel like you're. I mean, obviously everybody has luck and privilege to get to where we are today, but there's also a lot of initiative on your part, right? Because you sort of like you know you you're like exploring these new things, and you're just like, let me try to get this gig, right? And so I, I don't think you should downplay that. Like you obviously, and obviously you did a good enough job once you were in those roles to be like, hey. We don't actually we, we don't absolutely hate Michael. He's not he's actually a good DM. Like let's get him onto the next gig, right? So it's like yeah. don't downplay Maybe. that, man. Yeah. I guess. Like I don't know. It's it is very weird. Like the culmination, the peak, the you know, the peak in some ways has been like playing D D with Matthew Mercer and playing Magic the Gathering with Post Malone. Like, I don't know how the fuck that happened. <laughs> and it feels super lucky. I'm like, I don't know. It was a mistake. That, I'm that's such like a good that's performer. like you've already reached the Everest of those uh yeah. of those domains, right? <laughs> Doesn't yeah, get bigger but it's than just that. like, yeah, I'm just like, I'm such a good performer. I tricked everyone into making me be at their tables. <laughs> like, that's kind of, but I appreciate you. You're saying underselling that yourself, man. Um, I appreciate because that. Because <laughs> I have to admit, I'm not, I, I'm not a regular like RPG or D and D player, but just from my vantage point, I feel like the DM is like the hardest thing to do, right? Because I, I mean, I'm not saying it's it's easy to show up as a player and be in the character, but the DM is like everything right so the fact that yeah. you you kind of started that uh your your career as a dm like that that's pretty significant right and the fact that they couldn't find they were looking for a dm probably says something about how challenging that role can be to do it right i would i would say because every every role you could do it you could do it badly or you could do it well yeah but obviously you did it more on the on the on the well side so yeah i'm a bit rusty i haven't dm since like i started showing up in shows like so i think i haven't really dm'd in like five it's 2022 i got my first gig around 2017 2016 so like i haven't like i've done one shots and whatnot as a dm but like i need to get you know, within a year, I'm going to get back into DMing, but I've just been a player character. But I appreciate what you're saying. Like, yeah, it's taken some initiative. It's taken some, like, performing well, yeah. you know, some work like I do, like, trying to analyze my character, analyze the parties I'm with, like, do all that good stuff and operate from that standpoint. So, like, I, I appreciate that. And, like, I think being on this in the, this podcast is definitely there's, – there's very small times and small moments where I feel like, yeah, I earned being here. I've – you know, I can see how what moments led me up to here and the, some of the work that I've done. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to say that. No problem. Uh, I think you deserve it. And uh, another thing I want to ask is just, I also feel like there's a there's a range of how people get into D&D, right? Because like the mm-hmm. stuff that you're doing, which is I would consider to be quite high level D&D, which is like you're actually 
character acting like you are that person but i know there's also people who are more casual that are just like i'm here to like roll some dice and kill some monsters and and mm -hmm. i am uh i'm just playing somebody right so how do you like the question here is like how did you how do you develop being a certain character in D D? because that's something that i feel like when you're watching as an audience, you just kind of see the final product, but you don't actually know. It's kind of like watching a movie. It's like, you don't, mm -hmm. you don't actually, most people are just like, okay, Shia LaBeouf is like Indiana Jones or whoever, but like, how do they, how do they, uh, like, what's the process like? So what, what, what's your yeah. process? Right. I guess that's true. Like I would, you know, say nowadays that I, 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 I find myself more in that actor performer role before it was like more like, Oh, I'm just a, a player, at, you know, I'm a professional, like, Dungeons and Dragons player where now I would say more acting performing, but I think my general thing has always been, um, I first look at the rest of the party, which is like just a quick thing. Figure out where the gaps I need, if there's the gap that needs to be filled, like a certain role. And then I start going into my character. So then I will like pick, I'll have an idea maybe in my head, uh, starting to form about the, the um, let me think about that. The setting. So I first imagine the setting of the game that we're playing, because obviously you need to start from somewhere. So I start thinking about the setting, and I try and, like, put myself in a weird way where, like, you know, it's that, that, that insight, that perception I have about people. But I try and use that in a fantasy setting where, like, it's kind of like, you know how you see, like, in X-Men where uh xavier puts on like the the this i forget what it's called like the cerebro right cerebro like he, he likes cerebros and just like identifies all these mutants and stuff like that like in some ways that's kind of how my brain works when i'm starting to build a character like i cerebro into what are all these people i can imagine that are super interesting in this world and it just like kind of just like pops up everywhere and like what is like an interesting walk of life and like a way that a inter a beautiful intersectionality of, of a character can form and from that, I start imagining like their life experiences. Okay, what does their class say about them? How did they become like a warlock or a wizard or a fighter or whatever? What is the thing that got them there? And I develop their backstory. You also have backgrounds in D and D, so like I imagine like you know what got them into this background because something had to facilitate that. Mm -hmm. And then I start pulling from real life experiences from like right. I've I've met so many people in my life. I've been in so many workshops. I've been in and heard so many life stories. And so I start like picking things from those things and aspects and mannerisms and, you know, sometimes accents and, and, and all that. And I start just like, it then starts like from that cerebro action type of thing, I start pulling from history and I start trying to like, you know, um, sync all these aspects into one character until I have one. And then I also then start you know, maybe I'll have to go reassess and look at some D and D stuff or, or TTRPG things and start pulling from things to make it work within the character. Because I want my mechanics and I want the the uh, role playing of the character kind of to sync up very nicely. Uh, so it's just easier to kind of perform within that. And then that's kind of how I approach character being a character. And then obviously, once you're in character, once you're in game, trying to then use improv at the same time to work with your other cast members of you know the player characters and the dm because like you still have to entertain you still have to tell a story you still have to have things that bring people in or like interesting stories or beats and and you want that to be organic and i do that through improv and trying to be like oh this is a point of connection between my character and someone else's character or you know let, how does my character fill up this dead space and so 
I think that's kind of what you, the culmination of all those aspects kind of bring to light what I do, I think. That's incredible. Like, I, I sort of suspected that was your method, but I, I'm glad that you <laughs> sort of confirmed that because okay. to, me, to me, it's just kind of like, there's so much going on when you're trying to role play or be in a campaign at a high level that I feel like most people don't really see that level of craft. It's just like how, again, I'll use the analogy. When you watch a really good movie, you don't think about like how it's made. You just kind of enjoy it, right? And I, yeah. I feel like there's also an aspect of like to create a good product or to entertain the audience, you have to you have to do all that work. You have to put in the work, right? So that that's that's incredible. Like that's stuff that you don't have to do in magic, quite honestly. Like it's just no, no. <laughs> like you're actually like doing all these. Like you have to so you have to have social skills, <laughs> which yeah, uh, not imagine. a lot of magic players have. But <laughs> you have to have like you know you have to prepare. You have to like uh, figure out who your character is. And mm -hmm. um, I'm also wondering, like, have there been situations that you've been in where maybe there's such a a large skill gap between you and the other people who are role-playing or maybe you're on a different wavelength mm -hmm. where that becomes mm -hmm. like problematic almost it's kind of like it's kind of like playing yeah. in a sports team where it's like you know one oh, person's yeah. like a professional athlete and then you're passing the ball to somebody who uh barely knows how to dribble the ball so it's like does, does that become problematic sometimes like the dynamic yes it does um but trying to be professional trying to be a performer like yeah. you really just try and and there's some times where like you just can't get the person to go, but you do your best and you do your best every week. But like right. you really try and give people the bone. You really try and like just try to know, be a professional. Pass the baton. Really. Yeah. Yeah. And like if they drop it, it's like, okay, sheesh, like I'll go pick it up. And then maybe they're like just so focused on fulfilling a certain part of their role or their mm -hmm. story, like, you know, um, trying to like think of an idea without bringing someone who's all of that person's whatever we had like a a, a a someone who wouldn't heal and they're like a healer and but they had this like weird thing where they can like be five different people at one time and then like but it didn't really amount to anything because they were so focused on that like mechanic and that thing that like it didn't lend itself to the story and anytime we tried to like bring something over it was just mm -hmm. like this long drawn out thing that ended up kind of being dead and it's just like okay <laughs> But you do your best. And yeah. then, like, you know, and sometimes there's beautiful moments where, like, you know, I, I can see this. I think it probably happened in that game. Um, but there's beautiful moments where, like, it's an easy layup. You're just like, here, buddy. Like, all you got to do is, like, touch the ball and you'll just don't alley blow the that up. thing. It's right there. Yeah. yeah, just don't blow it up. And then, like, they do it and they look great. And you're like, cool. Like, I did it. My work is done for the season. Like, I finally did it. <laughs> so... Yeah, those things do happen and you just kind of, you just got to kind of work with it. Cause like, you know, or like the sad part is like, and I don't think this has really happened. It might happen once or twice in like three times in like my career, but like, or you just don't pass them the ball and you just like, maybe they can, because they don't want, maybe sometimes passing the ball is not the thing you want to do. And they find their little brilliant, bright moments when they're left alone. And mm -hmm. sometimes that does occur and happen. So. Mm -hmm. No, that's true. I mean, I, I, I can't speak for D&D, &D, but I've definitely been on sports teams where it's just like, I know that person's going to shoot it every time I pass him the ball. The ball's never coming back to us. And so I can't pass him the ball because I know they're also like not, not making that basket like 70% of the time. So I just can't pass that person the ball. I'm sorry, but, um, yeah. but it's different though, right? Because I think in sports, like there's actually an objective goal, which is winning. Whereas yeah. in, in this, it's actually kind of like, 
I think it is like for the community or it's like to make people like, like almost like a group effort or to entertain. Right. So I guess it's a, mm -hmm. kind of a flawed analogy. Yeah, no, no, it's not like it, it, it still works. Like the analogy of, of just trying to like, right. you you want to make the team. It's not a flawed thing. Like other than a high level, like NBA and like maybe college basketball where you're not going to pass the ball to someone who's not going to make the thing because, you know, but it's like high school ball or like, you know, pickup games or fantasy, like, or, uh, you know, or, or just, uh, whatever, like, uh, uh, after school team, like, yeah, you pass that person the ball, like, you know, and, and you hope that they, they do something well with it. So like, it's the same thing when it comes to D and D, like you, you need to uh, pass the ball and, and hopefully that they do something with it. I also want to talk to you about your, your voice acting prowess, because that's also something that I think you're quite gifted that like can you tell me a bit about that and sort of how you <laughs> developed your craft in that area this is this is really inside the actor studio now with oh, michael sinclair shit. in a second so <laughs> oh shit um, uh, tell me your method okay yeah, yeah 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 um no i mean i think this all started within like i feel like most performers things start in the shower like it just starts in the shower it's your private little space you sound great <laughs> you can hear yourself the acoustics are you amazing yeah, you just sound like, you know, you sound like Luther Van Draws, you know what I'm saying? That, <laughs> Yo, girl, I can serenade you in this show. But, um, no, I, I, it starts there. Uh, you know, I was a misfit, misfit, misfit group, right? So, like, in some ways, I was allowed the space to be weird and, like, talk to myself or, like, make those weird noises in the school bus or, like, make weird noises I'm walking to school or if I'm walking to a friend's house, I got screamo music in my ear and I'm screaming and like, I probably look like, you know, someone who has lost it. Um, so like a life of that. And then at a certain point, you know, in the, like you pick up on these voices or these personalities that are just so freaking hilarious that you meet in real life. And you're just like, that's hilarious. Let me use that voice. And then like you start doing it and you just make yourself crack up. And then, you know, I did that in the military. Like you meet all these personalities of like just some characters. And then you end up like using that for like a role or two. And then, you know, you start just picking up stuff here or there. Like, and I also like singing in the car, you know, even if it's like a lady's voice and it's high pitched or like, a, you know, or, or, you know, you're doing like, you know, the rap albums where, you know, um, it's like the, the, the modulated deep voices and you're just trying to hit those. Like it, it just is kind of something that I do all the time without thinking about it. Um, and I hate, cause that sounds like a pretty generic answer to these things, but it's like kind of true. You're just, you know, I'm in the house singing, I'm in the car singing, I'm, you know, at work making voices, just kind of entertain myself. Like that's kind of where I picked up all these voices. And a lot of it's, like I said, through, um, either media art or just funny as shit things that you hear from other people in, in real life. I feel like you've just had a really full life because I, I mean, on the one hand, I'm definitely, like you said, you just have a talent for voices, but also you're exposed, you've been exposed to so many different things. And I, without like trying to, you know, jump to conclusions, I feel like your lived experience in different parts of the, the world and also in different parts of the U S and being deployed in the in the Navy or the military, like that, that all sort of culminates in you having your range, right? Because you can draw yeah. on all these different experiences, not just for voices, but just for like lived experiences. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, something that like, I always like talk about is like my sometimes objective memory isn't good, but like my emotional memory or like an experience memory is there where like, I don't remember the people don't remember the faces, 
but I might remember a sound or I might remember the way I felt. Um, and from there, sometimes I can pull things, um, that is useful later on, you know, uh, where it's like performer acting, like that's sometimes where I draw like a feeling from, cause it's like, I've never experienced that feeling in my life, but I remember how I think I felt the other person feel in that moment. And so I just dig into that. Like what happens if I was literally experiencing that? What happens if I was experiencing that through this character? This character is literally experiencing that. Let's dig into it. Like what are the compounding factors? And then like just going there, getting dark, getting deep and like, and that's kind of like the stuff where all that stuff stems from, I think. Where do you think you get your your empathy from? Because to, you strike me as someone who is quite empathic or has has a has a fairly strong amount of empathy or be able to see things through other people's lenses. Like, is that how did you get that through your upbringing? Like, or was it uh, developed over time? It's developed over. It, it's. I think it's more developed over time. It's. It's been a lot of work. Like a lot of things. The way that you see who I am today is is a shit ton of work. I like. I never feel like I'm ever put on idle. Like I don't just like. I don't. I don't have an idle switch. I'm just like. Oh yeah. Whatever. It's cruise, baby. <laughs> um, yeah. Because I think like my. Speaking to my dad, like I don't talk to him. I, he's like in some ways the sound, but like he kind of has like sociopathic tendencies and i think like i have some of that but to combat that i've done a shit ton of like a, a gargantuan amount of work to work on my emotions work on myself work on my insight and perspective on other people so that i can feel those things and work from from that space and through a lifetime of work and, and doing that and trying to do that i think that's where i've gotten to where i am today um uh and I also had to like raise my family in some ways too. Like, you know, there was a lot of breakdown within family life growing up. And like, of course, like with all that transient nature and like my parents always going through kind of like relationships, highs and lows, like most, most families do. But like on top of that, we were super transient. So, you know, I think that came with growing up quick and that work that also came with having to establish a lot of empathy uh, because I had to like help other people out. And then through helping other people out, like my, my family and seeing like the hurt around me, not even within my family, within people that we knew. And then like the teen trainings, the adult trainings, like everyone kind of hurts. And, uh, you know, I could shut that off, but like, it doesn't, I don't like operating from that space and it doesn't feel great. Like, you know, I could just like, be like, I'm about me. I don't care what everyone's doing, but like, I just get so much happiness and, and so much, you know, I just love being in those dark, deep zones like and and operating from there so i think it's just been a lifetime of work to be honest and it doesn't stop like it, that's the thing it's like michael when does this work stop like you know you're you've gotten there teach me what you do when does this work stop i'm like it 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 doesn't it never stops <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's that's my answer probably to that question you mentioned having one sister right is that you have one sibling I have a sister and I also have a half sister who's much younger. She's like 10 and my, my, my full blooded sister, I guess is what you call it is 31. Okay. So, and I'm 33. So yeah, that's the age. You, uh, you mentioned just, your, your dad just now. What about the rest of your family? Like how, how do you get along with them? What's that relationship? Yeah. Or my mom like? is great. My mom's fantastic. She's like the coolest fucking person ever. Um, 
she uh my mom's 52 uh you know uh but she don't look 52 you know those filipino she's young right to see asian yeah 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 i I I I always had the hot mom problem you know Mm. people like god damn michael your mom like yo shit (laughs) Uh, michael is that really your mom (laughs) yes every time i have to answer even now you know like i went to lululemon in in was it in vegas you're not trolling me right michael you're not okay (laughs) yeah i went to lululemon with my mom in denver like the outlet and then the cashier thought that was like my girlfriend i was like no that's my mom (laughs) (laughs) but i'm used to it at this point so it's just like yeah whatever (laughs) um but yeah i i'm building uh so my relationship's a lot better uh, growing up, especially in the military and like when I was like, off to be, be on my own and not having to raise my family and stuff, I kind of really pushed them back in a way. Cause I was just like, I get to work on me, you know, I don't have to worry about, you know, the family stuff and like your problems. And, you know, I, I, I helped y'all as much as I can up until I got out of the house. I am like, I'm finished. I'm done. But, uh, within the recent years, my, my sister, and my mom have done like some work, some self work. And I've also realized at some point, like through getting older relatives coming and going and passing and stuff like that. It's like, you know, it's probably time to reconnect and, and, and kind of get soft and vulnerable and mushy and, and try and work on the stuff with the family. So I've been trying to tighten up my relationship with my mom and my sister. Um, still working on the half sister part. Uh, I do, I do love them and I do think about them from time to time, but I could be much tighter about that too. So, yeah. Everything's a work in progress, man. That's that's how yeah. it is. Yeah. Work never stops. It never stops. <laughs> <laughs> so uh what what's the proudest moment that you have in terms of D and D? Like, is there a particular thing oh. that stands out to you in your body of work? Honestly, like reflecting on it now, it's Bayforge Academy. That's the podcast that I've been a part of and it's almost three years and like you don't normally see podcasts stay up that long. Um That's a mainstay. It's not that's like- long, yeah. Yeah, it's not like a a big like this is the top tier accomplishment, right? Like if I wanted to point to easy one of those, it's like working with Matthew Mercer. Like shout out Matthew Mercer, he's super co- super cool, super awesome, personable person. But um, and like no shade to Mar- Matthew, like, Matthew's yeah. great. But like, but it's just honestly, longevity, right? That's that's huge. Yeah, and playing this character, I play the same character, this cast and crew that I'm with, like phenomenal people, just like really good people. We care about each other. We jive really well as a cast. You know, um, and that's hard to find in D and D. You hear so many groups dissolving. You see, you hear so much conflict. It's like and drama a band, right? Happens. They break up. You can't keep the band together. Yeah, and the cool thing about this 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 group of people is D and D can be draining. It's just straight up draining. Like performing for that long, and especially depending on what projects. That's they are, what, like, that's the part I'm going to soundbite. Like Michael says, D and D can be draining. We'll just we'll just put that on TikTok. No, I'm just kidding. Hell yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Please, no, please give me that. Give me that fucking juice me up. Jesus me up, James. <laughs> um, but D and D could be draining, and and a lot of people who perform in this space, like it's true. And if you ever find a group that doesn't that fills your cup, hang on to that thing as hard and fucking tight as you can. Like that's the soundbite. To be honest, too, is like if you find a fucking D and D group that just fills your fucking cup up and has no drama and is just like it feels like home. Like you cling on to that motherfucker. Like. <laughs> And that's what like Faith Forge Academy is. Is like I know when I go sit down at Faith Forge Academy, there's not all these overlying things I have to worry about. Of like, you know, this person is making waves in a bad way in in, in TTRPG, or they have like all this other life stuff that's questionable. Or you know, when we sit down at the table, we're 
we're there to tell a story and we genuinely care about each other. And from that space, we can operate and genuinely care about each other's characters. And, you know, we've had people who I consider superstars in the D and D communities and everyone who comes there just is like, wow, this group is different. Like you, you, we can, like, they can tell that, you know, this is a place where we get filled up and, and we can, and we can go about the rest of our week, you know, feeling great. And like other D and D projects where it's more draining and stuff like that. So, uh, and then additionally, the second part would probably be like, I got nominated for best character performance, um, by the New Jersey web fest, something like that. I think it's a pretty popular thing maybe within podcasting. And I got nominated for best character performance. I don't know how that has shook out. I think the results have might've just been posted, but just the nomination of that is super cool. I think. Congrats on that. That's uh, to have the recognition like that. That's, that's, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Yeah, it's a bit weird. I just never weird? thought I'd be nominated for, for, you know, this character that I, I play, like, pretty frequently. It's just been, you know, because I just, he that character's kind of home, so it almost feels like second home. Like, it doesn't, and it's weird to kind of think that someone, it's a different way of thinking about it, to think that, like, someone's nominating that for best character performance, I guess. Oh, yeah, for sure. What is something that you you want to tell people who have never tried D&D? Ooh, that's a, that's a question right there. Um, <clears throat> I think, oh, that's a hard question. I think for people who have not played D and D, I think first and foremost, is just like, if you've, th if you've thought about it, playing D and D find, try and find a good group and just play like, yeah, you've been sitting on that character. Yeah. You've been like trying to find the perfect group, but like when I first also started playing as a player and not as a DM, like a DM, I was part of like several groups that weren't great, but I guess I just kept like trying to go to them uh, and trying to find better groups or places that I would mesh well with, or made my own group once I knew what I wanted. Um, when I got out of the military, this was, um, so I would say just like, give it a try, give it an honest try. Um, if you, if something's been holding you back, Give it an honest try, and then after you do that, give it a couple more tries and find a group that might work well from you, and and hopefully it works out. That's probably what I would say. So just do it and just put in the reps, right? Because it doesn't have to be yeah. perfect from the get go. Right. Yeah. You can be at a session where, like, you know, your character only you only get to play as your character for like fifteen minutes of the whole session. It's just like, well, that's a good start. Like that. Just get started. You know, that's kind of how I approach lots of things in my life, I guess. Is there a D&D &D equivalent of uh, working the comedy seller or like, uh, I'll describe what I mean. Like, you know how when you do, when you do stand up, even really famous comedians like Chris Rock, they'll just like go to some small local stand up to work on their material. So it's like, you know, I'm just gonna just work things out, right? Is there a D&D &D equivalent of that where it's like, <sighs> you do some sessions just to kind of work out what your character might be because i feel like that could be valuable yeah um hmm not really like adventure leagues exist where you can like there's lgs's like how they would have magic nights they'll have like a D, &D night called adventure league where you can just like join up and like like a short-term session right 
Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like technically a character that's, that can be co-signed. Like you did these things. We mark it on a separate sheet, not your character sheet that says you accomplished these goals. You've earned this XP, you've earned these items, you earned this gold, and you should be able to take that to any other LGS. Um, so it's kind of like a running tally on your character. Um, but as far as like, uh, content stuff of like, uh, you know, I can, I can like just submit my name to some show or some, some group of shows to kind of like work through my characters and stuff like that. I don't know if that exists in, in D and D or TTRPG stuff, but there's always like definitely small groups always trying to find people to kind of come together. And, um, there's definitely like, I forget what you call it, but there's definitely like community Twitch channels where you can join these communities and, uh, be part of a show. Like they're always trying to find new people to kind of like, you know, they, they try and find people that they think will work well with, um, the rest of the group or the community. And then you can kind of probably get your start there. I think that's probably like one of them is the initiative order, which I've been on and is, um, one of my friends, Bree, I forget what her position is there. It's pretty high up. Like she makes a lot of decisions and, and but they're like a communal thing. So like mm. she starts the decision, like she brings up the dis decision and like every other people ch chips in, but there's places like those where you can operate from and, and maybe go from there and, and work on your craft, I guess. Yeah. And then start going from there. So they're out there. You just have to like look on Twitter and join, like, you know, just, just do some sleuthing, some investing. Yeah. Yeah. You got to know people, right. To get into uh, certain communities, whether it's uh yeah. polyamorous or D and D you gotta, you gotta connect. Yeah. Network. You gotta get vulnerable. You gotta, you gotta put yourself out there just a tiny bit. Yeah. Maybe a better analogy is like, I'm registering for a magic tournament, right? And I registered these 75 cards uh, for an RCQ or whatever, and you're still in round four you're still in contention but you kind of realize halfway through the tournament that you've misbuilt your deck so does that ever happen in D D where it's kind of like i have this character and we're kind of like halfway through the campaign but i don't really like this character or i don't really like where this is going huh. for some reason so is there a way to kind of mitigate that or is that just kind of like a commitment thing where it's just like you kind of have to just see see it all the way through without rebuilding it depends the deck? yeah it depends on the table um a lot of dungeon masters will work on you to kind of get, they'll like tweak the story or tweak your character or tweak some sort of event in the game to kind of change it up and get through that um, and, and change your character up. But there's other ones where it's just like, this is a little bit more crunchy is what we call it. Like, it's a little bit more crunchy. Like you're, you're going to take your L's because you, you kind of put yourself there. Um, and so, yeah, you have to kind of let's work with what you got and your party kind of helps you work and, you know, right. You're working at a party. So it's not like you should be alone. Even if your character isn't optimized, like the best thing they can do is probably try and the rest of your group can probably try and, um, optimize, you know, your character through working with you. And ideally that's kind of, if you're at a crunchy table, that's the way you would do that. But if you're at a place where like a DM's a little bit more flexible, then you can just change stuff up. Got it. This is great, man. I hope whoever's listening to this, like if someone's listening to this and they've never tried D&D, hopefully they'll be more interested because like, it just feels like to me that you're learning all these great social skills and improv skills, and you're doing it in a, hopefully a fun setting without, with minimal drama, as you alluded to. Right. So, uh, it's, it's it sounds way more fun than magic, to be honest. If I, if, if I, if I've never ever played magic before and I'm hearing about D&D versus magic, I probably go with D&D. So. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. I, they're, they're both, they're two different things. They're, yeah, they're yeah, probably, yeah. You know, 
Because yeah, ironically, magic was invented as uh, as a way to pass the time between D and D sessions yeah. or during breaks, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yep, yep, yep. You got two wolves. It's a D and D and magic. <laughs> <laughs> this two wolves thing has been cracking or, me up or, lately. <laughs> or two vices, whatever, however you want to define that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. That's that's the D and D stuffs. All right. Let's let's pivot to magic. So how did you get sure, involved yeah. in in magic and the Rakdos life? You got to tell me. Oh, Rakdos gang gang, you know what I'm saying? All day, every day. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, shouts out to, uh, he doesn't know who I am, but Sean Plot, Day 9, uh, Spellslingers on Geek and Sundry. Like, Geek and Sundry is just like... Yeah, that was, uh, that was the crossover for you, right? Yeah. Yeah, Felicia Day follows me. I've met them in real life. Uh, they didn't know who I was back then. Uh, they kind of know who I am now, maybe a little bit. They do follow me. Um, but... Uh, sh- so yeah, it was Sean Plot. They had spell slingers, and he like brought these like cool people on, and like I think they also had a tabletop uh, day with with uh, Will Wheaton maybe too. Um, so that's the first thing I saw in Magic. I was just like I didn't really quite understand what's going on. Sean Plot was kind of more talking about the vibes of decks, like the personalities of decks, and then you know shout out to Jimmy and Josh. They I checked out Command Zone uh, and watched you know game nights, and I started from episode one. Uh, and this was back in 2017, 2018. So I started from episode one, watched the thing. That's how I learned how to play Magic. I never went to an LGS. I never looked up YouTube tutorials. Like, I didn't learn any of that stuff. Like, I just learned from, like, there's, I just kind of, for some reason, I, I, there's probably easier ways to learn. But for some reason, I just, like, sat and just watched game nights and kind of figured out, like, oh, you draw your cards, you untap, you use mana to do this. And, it, like, it was a long, arduous process to do. And then eventually I just, like, went to an LGS and, like, played Standard uh, and then found a group to play Commander with. And then from there I got more serious in, like, sometimes Commander and then sometimes 60-card, like, you know, 1v1 stuff. And that's kind of how that's all kind of um, projected from there. I feel like you kind of did it the right way, which is, like, you got into High Fantasy and then D&D first. And then you got into Magic because I, there's definitely overlapping elements, right? So were there things about kind of a leading question but what what aspects of magic really were you attracted to initially Mm, yeah that's good uh honestly it was just like it was interesting and it was scary and and when things kind of meet those two things i don't know i'm a weird person that's when you're in right interesting and scary that's the michael sinclair life right there (laughs) kind of <laughs> so when something's interesting and scary i'm like yo i'm in there's a Even intersection though, like, I'm not, two circles yeah <laughs> yeah i'm not like type a i have nothing to fucking prove like I, my brain is not okay and that's how i operate but um yeah so i thought that was cool and 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 uh i got into magic from that and also was computer science right and so like it I didn't notice it at the time, but like my brain was cut and I was already taking computer science at that point, but like my brain was starting to pick up on, on magic stuff. Cause I understood computer science in a way. So it kind of was, I think at the same time it was triggering the same parts of my brain. And so it got, it was easier to have an interest in it and hold the retention of the interest. And then I wanted to do so like, right. It was scary. So I wanted to be like, can I explore this? Can I, how far can I go with this? Not from a challenge standpoint, but like, what is, what is the end of like, how far do I want to delve into this? Cause it's scary and I'm going to, I'm going to give it an honest try. And then, yeah, that's kind of how I kept playing it. Yeah. And, uh, why Rakdos? Why red and black? 
Oh, why not Rakdos though? Yeah, why not, <laughs> um, right? <laughs> um, you know, I think it's just the, the 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 symbolism of what it is. It's like you have your, you know, you've you've heard like I think I've, I'll probably say things right, but you have Maro, and Maro is just like, you know, black is like power, independence. Um, in some ways, freedom in, in you know, in, in, uh, and doing, you know, whatever it takes to kind of attain independence, you know? Um, and then you have the, the mountain, which symbolizes passion and sometimes a little bit of freedom and like, and intensity, you know, and, and those things. And maybe that's just something I feel like I don't embody in my regular life. Uh, and there's aspects that like, you know, maybe I just want to be more intense and feel strong and feel like I'll do whatever it takes and feel very passionate and like alive and sexy and, 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 you know, all these aspects that like, I don't feel like I portray normally, like in my day to day. And so maybe that's kind of where I started the Rakdos life. Um, and my first deck was, uh, Mardu sacrifice or Mardu, um, what do you call this? Which is red, white, and uh, red, white, and black, um, Mardu Aristocrats, that was built by Megan and Maria, by Meg, I think, Maria. Maria's, it was like a deck thing that she did from, for Standard. From uh, Good Luck High Five? Is that... Yeah, from Good Luck High Five. This was back when I joined, like, I really got into Magic around the War of the Spark block, or, you know, that's block, and she had a deck, and that was my first deck, was uh, Sacrifice. Uh, and it was the red and black elements that were like the strongest part of the deck. Like you had white that was there kind of for filler, but I just, for some reason, I just identify Rakdos and it's the kinkiest guild, like BDSM kinky, you know, fun, circusy, like just, just having a wild time. And like, you know, the, the, the aspects of Rakdos being able to kind of like, you really hope things line up like more so than most other decks. Like you really hope like you draw smoothly cause you're doing some very powerful things, but you usually just can't get there, you know, and you mm -hmm. just hope you kind of get there. Cause like you can't control your opponent's top deck and people will bitch about Rakdos left and right. And you'll still lose lots of your games cause they just top deck. Well, but like something about that, like chanciness that like, and just everything about Rakdos when you play it just embodies it. Like, I feel like there's other decks that like you play and it's just like, yeah, that, that motif, that thing is kind of there, but it's just not so like, I don't know what it is. It's like something that just, just grabs my whole entire being and just, just like claws me in. And I'm just like there for the ride. And I don't know what it is that Rakdos does, how that does it to me, but that's kind of where I operate from. That's great. I'm sort of in your camp because my favorite, I'm just a black mage. Like I'm just, I just, Hell yeah. Yeah, my, exactly. my favorite card is probably like dark confidant. Right. Also my favorite yeah. flavor text greatness at any cost. Uh, that's, Hell that's yeah. what it's all about. It's like sacrificing, uh, everything for power. Right. And that's obviously mm -hmm. not who I am in real life either, but it's just, I love that when I play magic, I love the black magic. I love, I love death. Like, you know, reanimating something just like, you know, just, just like almost like killing myself so that I can kill you first. It's, yes. It's, that's what I love. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like, to me, there's, it's like, I'm so messed up, but like, there's like such a romantic feeling I feel about that. Like I'm fucking myself oh, up so romantic, I can kill man. you. There's nothing weird about that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe like, I'm weird too. Like, so yeah, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> this, this King BSM thing is, is making sense for, you know, like, eh. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, the Rakdos thing of us, like, I'm doing everything. I'll hurt myself so I can put you in the dirt. Like, yeah. you know, we're, if we're going to take this pain, we're taking it together, but I'll come on the other side of it better. You know, it's yeah, just I, like, I love winning the game at, you know, two life, right? Cause you're at zero, but I'm at two. 
I love that stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that stuff is just oh. And when you when you win as Rakdos, like there's, so satisfying. So satisfying. Like there's other things to be like, oh, I'm ramping. Of course you're gonna win. You're gonna ramping, right. you're not taking much risk, like whatever. You're building a bunch of small dudes like yeah. Selesnia, you know, you're you're drawing a bunch of cards as is it and like casting all these spells and like yeah. that's just boring, bro. Like I'm trying to <laughs> I'm just trying to like do some demonic shit while yeah. I'm playing magic. <laughs> I'm just trying to end you. And and that that's what I call like, you know how when people are just, like, building up and ramping, I call that, like, SimCity magic. They're just kind of, like, playing solitaire. And, no, yeah. I, I'm just a spike. I'm just, I just want to kill you. Like, I just, I just want you dead. Like, uh, I, oh, don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't care what you do on the sixth turn because I want to kill you by the fifth turn kind of thing, so. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, or just long, like, Ragdoll also does the long drown out, like, I'm going to nickel and dime you and you're going to watch me just, like... <laughs> Just chip at yeah, you, yeah. bro. There's also, the value, there's also the value engine aspect, which is cool. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. it's great. Yeah. So uh, I want to know, because you, you're recently on something which is, uh, I mean, you mentioned Post Malone, but I, for me, it would be like, if I if I was able to film with the professor, that would be like right up there, right? Because you're recently oh, on great. an episode yeah. of Shuffle Up and Play and yeah. uh, playing uh, No Ban List Modern, which is, I enjoy that a lot because I, I play Modern. <laughs> and I remember yeah, Loris very well. And uh, yeah, it, it shows that you that you're, you're, you have that Modern background. But what, what was it like to work with uh, Prof? Like, like kind of <sighs> guide me through that whole story of how you were like approached to actually, you know, literally yeah. filming. Prof is such a kind soul. So like Prof really, before he invites you uh, onto his show, I mean, he really, like, wants to make sure he establishes a relationship with you in some form or manner. And he also wants to get to know you, kind of like kind of what you do in some senses. But, like, him, he extrapolates a little bit further because he's just kind of more um, that person to, like, an extent where it's, like... Um, I wouldn't say it's a flaw, but it's he's, he's very he's very deeply concerned about someone making sure that he cares about them, to an extent where like I'm like no hit that person up like I talk I talked to him about hitting some person up of like no hit them up I you know I'll co-sign like I'll do he's like no 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 I I want to like I want to really make sure and you know um and so like from that standpoint like when he works with you he's like making sure that you're well taken care of. Um, and like, by the time he asks you to be on the show, it's like, yeah, sure. Why not? Like you're, you're just like, you, you feel like you're the homie with the professor. Um, not to say like, I don't feel like we're homies in some senses, but like, you know, um, yeah, the he takes the time to get to know the, the people, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he like establishes a relationship like through DMS or like through Twitter responses and stuff like that. And so, you know, when you get to meet him, he's like, you know, he's kind of the same boat as like myself or you, like where he's very personal, he's very insightful, he's very empathetic. Um, and, <clears throat> but he also has a show to like do. So like, if you ever meet show types in like any content, like, you know, but somehow he still gets the, he slows it down enough to kind of be able to establish rapport and empathy with you. Um, and, uh, let's see, he's very charismatic. Uh, and like when he, you know, I call it like, you know, uh, turning off and on when he's on, it's like, it's great to see. It's awesome to see. But when he's off, it's like, you notice the transition and it's nice to see. And you're, you're able to like talk with him and vibe with him. Um, where I've seen in other industries where like that happens, they never turn off or you don't know when they're off or on. And it's just like very jarring. Mm. Um, and so the professor has just been awesome. He was awesome to work with. Uh, 
and he made me feel like at home. He like also like took me to like all these great places and like Titty Pills, uh, Jesse uh, Jesse Robkin and Skyler um, were there as well, and they're phenomenal. I've been a fan like since uh, uh, Jesse Robkin has been crushing the NRG. I've just been such a huge fan of hers, and like being able to like pick her mind because like RCQ season was around the corner around the time we were filming, and I was just like. I have access to like, you know, both, uh, Jesse Robkin and Skylar, like Warfield. And I was just like, yo, like, this is wild. And like, I was, I was fangirling over them. Like they're, they're, they're brilliant. And I mean, they're so, both like, very high was, level magic players. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like, I wish I had like, you know, some of their, like, give me just at least 15%, bro. Like, give me just 15% of what you got. And I, I swear I'll be good. Like, <laughs> and so like, just being able to be with those three people over the weekend was just like, so I don't know. It was just like that in some ways, like I know that you was like, what's your pinnacle of like D and D stuff. I feel like in some senses, I was kind of like the pinnacle of like my match, the gathering thing was just being able to be in the same space as like those two wonderful uh, people, both Skylar and, and Jesse. And then also just be able to shoot content with the professor. It was just like, it, that weekend was magical. It was just, it was just really magical. That's awesome. I'm, that's the thing is like when I watched what comes out of it, right? When I watched the final YouTube video, I can really tell that the guests enjoy being on the show, and it's not it's it's some it's an authentic thing. It's not it's not uh, I hate to use this like severe term, but it's not fake, right? Like it's it's yeah. it's genuine. So I I feel like there's got to be something there in terms of how the prof just makes you guys feel like you know you're you're there's a good vibe like uh, it feels like every episode has been like good vibes there hasn't really been uh, a miss so he must be doing something right is is what yeah, i'm referring he, he tries very hard to make sure that everyone feels invited and listened to and heard and you just feel like a fucking human like when you're around and like if you can do that within well, that's a big secret to any content creation people fucking out there like if you ever are able to make people feel like a fucking human while they're shooting content like you can do no fucking wrong and it, it just makes for better shit like just straight up like and, and i think if you ever just treat other people like human beings while be able to produce content and do it well like that's the fucking end goal like that's the that's that's the that's the that's the goal there so what's uh how do you see your 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 content progression right because i feel like you're you're <laughs> oh, balancing no. oh, by no. the way uh we're kind of segueing here but uh how, how do you see you know mtg D and D. I'm sure you've got you're you're doing other stuff as well. I'm not sure if you're going to start a computer science YouTube channel. Probably not anytime soon. But you know, like, <laughs> how do you balance your your projects? Let's, and you've got a podcast now, right? With uh, shout out to uh, to uh, with your two wonderful hosts, uh, the yeah. one Jane and uh, and Airball. Uh, Air, Air, yeah. And uh, so, how yeah. do you balance everything? Yeah, I don't how know, do you aspire I'm... to balance everything? I guess you tell me. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> Uh, honestly, like, um, content life has been hard. Cause I like one thing that I've, it's really been hard to come to terms with is like my own content is not really, I can't say like, follow me at like, you know, I do say like follow my Twitch and I'll do Twitch content and stuff, but like my own stuff, my own personal stuff, it, I don't do much there. Like, honestly, a lot of my stuff is guesting and showing up at places. Um, but like, obviously, you know. I have the Faith Forge Academy podcast. I have the podcast with Magic the Gathering with Nuts and Bolts with One Jame and, and Airball. 
Um, I'm about to be in, into the motherlands uh, we, uh, soon here. I think we talked about, I think it's live or we've said like we're coming back, um, which is a Twitch, like TTRPG thing done for Twitch by mm -hmm. Twitch, kind of like a weird, but we're working for Twitch. So you've so always like been more of an ensemble cast maybe is the, is the, is the word, right? Yeah. I'm like, we're like a weird performer contractor. I think that's probably the best way to say what I do. And so I get contracted or show up in, in stuff, not even contracted. I don't always get paid, but so balancing that out, I don't know. Like I, I just try and assess like, oh, I'm really interested in magic. So I'm gonna do lots of magic stuff, but I want to make sure I keep a tab on D and D stuff and have enough stuff going on with D and D. So it's kind of just been like a weird figure as I go, like trying to balance it too. Cause you don't see much people who are authentically part of both. Or, or or they do, but they don't have one be main facing, and I'm trying to have both be main facing, main facing all the time, mm -hmm. and it's kind of hard because it's like, in some ways, I know I'm limiting myself because someone can't be like, oh, that's the Magic the Gathering guy, or that's the D and D guy, or that's the TTRPG guy, or that's the voice actor guy. Like, I'm kind of doing so many things, and I don't have like my own channel to kind of talk about these things or have like something more front facing that's just within personal within me. So, like, honestly, I don't know how I'm going about it, but. The one good thing is, like, I'm not burning out. So, like, you see a lot of burnout in content creation and, like, people losing spoons or their cup nut being filled or, like, committing too hard to things or, like, just getting disenfranchised with the communities that are in. Because, like, some of these communities are, can be really toxic and, like, weird. And so it's, like, you know, in some ways, like, I prefer this. And I know at some point, like, I'm going to be doing my own content you know, probably definitely when I get out of school and computer science, like the, the goal probably is to just do my own content on top of all the things I'm already committed to, like what I have now, but right. uh, it's hard to kind of want to do my own stuff when I still have like this big overlying shadow on me, which is computer science. Um, but yeah, so I think I just pick up projects here or there and try and keep my ear open for those things. I'm probably going to be looking for another D and D campaign to join soon. Cause I think one's about to be ending, um, other than into the motherland. So, um, that's probably what I'm going to be doing. So it's kind of just a balancing act. And I figure out as I go, I don't really have like a formula or something. I, I try and assess like, Oh, have I been slacking a lot in D and D? Okay. Let's try and do something. Or if I slack a lot in MTG, let's try and do something. So that's kind of how I've been doing it. I appreciate that answer because anyone who claims to have a formula is probably trying to sell you some masterclass as well. or trying to, uh, yeah. I don't think anyone's got it quite figured out. And, and I don't no. think, I don't think, I don't think anyone's thing can just be transposed to someone else's and just be like, this is the way you should do it. I don't think there's like one way to do it. Right. Um, so yeah. I appreciate your answer. And I also think that to, to some extent, cause I've talked to a lot of creators, right? maybe being not hyper-focused on one thing also helps with not burning out, right? Because you, you're, you're exposed to a range of things. So you, you sort of know how to, it sounds like you know how to draw the boundaries with each one. So in a way that also can be productive or more sustaining to, to not just be like, I am the X, the guy who does X, right? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. I think I think you're on to something there. Um, definitely, it's, it stymies growth. Like, I acknowledge that, like, because I'm not particular one part of the thing, it stymies my growth. But at the same time, I know that it's cool in some ways that I do good enough in 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 each of these things, voiceover, Magic the Gathering, D&D, &D, maybe some other things I'll get into that, like, people are interested enough to work with me. And so I guess that's the level I maintain, is that I do enough stuff to be relevant. That's... 
I think that's the that's the, my formula. It's like do enough in the things that you like doing, like content that you like being a part of, to be relevant enough for people to want to work with you. And I think that's that's the space I find myself in. Um, and I don't burn out. So like, I guess shout out to anyone who needs to hear that. If if you've had like decisions about like trying to branch off into something else, like I know Skylar or Warfield. Um, they've been saying that it's been hard to like do Valorant stuff and also do MTG stuff and mm -hmm. like Valorant, like they've, their numbers are taking a hit and they also do other stuff. But, um, but I would say it's kind of worth it in some senses because then you don't get overwhelmed by like having to kind of commit hard commit to something. So maybe that's just like a, you know, it's a different style of, of yeah. doing things. This is something that I, I even struggle with because, uh, I've talked to a lot of creators and, Honestly speaking, I think humans are not that great at specialization. Like it's very hard to just find out that someone only does one thing, you know, like yeah. we all have different interests, right? Like even people mm -hmm. who are specializing in one thing publicly have so many things going on in private, right? Um, yeah. So it's challenging because also for me, I want to like show that I care about different things. I care about politics. I hear about what's happening in the world. I care about magic. I care about interviewing. I care about video games, blah, blah, blah. I like running. But I also realize that in a, in some ways it's like other humans can't really process everything that you do. So it's like, you kind of have to pull some things back or you kind of have to compartmentalize on the internet, unfortunately for better or worse. So I, there's no question here, but I'm just kind of I, I feel that struggle as well. And so I, I, I don't know if you have any, any, um, any thoughts about that? Like, is it, I, cause I think, I think there's something very nice about just doing things that you enjoy and doing them publicly, but I think there's also like a good thing to just being more calculated and just be like, I'm just going to represent that I do X. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I missed 20 seconds of that, but I picked up basically what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so no, I think it is nice that I'm able to kind of give as much as I can about myself onto the things I do and the content I do and the stuff I perform in. Because I know this, I, now I, I actually think about it, know that I have the privilege of doing that and have done well enough in my connections and people care enough. And like, you know, I feel bad that sometimes I don't feel like I connect with everyone like I'd want to and I don't have the time for that. But like, it's nice to stay relevant in that way. And it's nice that I... And then you're correct. Like in this interview, like we've, we've touched so many things and like, even this isn't enough time to kind of give you the full spectrum of who I am in, in, yeah, in because totality. humans are complicated, right? We're all complicated. Exactly. But I, you know, and not to like toot my own horn or ego boost, but like, I've just lived like so much life and just delved into so many things and, and always have something to kind of speak into or something going on. And you know, I appreciate that people like that stuff. Like I'll talk about mental health or BSM King stuff or magic, or like, I'm getting into drumming now. I'm, uh, I have drum lessons I'm going to each week. I'm trying to get into like art, like painting, like I'm trying to do that too. And like, I don't know where I'm going to go with that, but like, I'm, I think I'm really fortunate that people kind of like, I guess my brand is, is just like constantly growing, constantly like getting into something new, like, and I like sharing these things about my mental health or like getting into something new because, you know, I hope that it, it inspires someone else. Um, I also notice the privilege that I have that I get to do that stuff, but yeah, I, I, I think, um, I think I find myself being fortunate and I think, 
why I do some of that and share that stuff is because I just want people to feel like they have the, they have the permission. Sometimes you feel like you don't need the permission. Like no one's telling you you can't do it, but sometimes you feel like you need the permission to, to, to do something that you've kind of had your, your interest in, or you, you, you've had, uh, you know, an inkling that you've wanted to do and you just haven't done it because like, for some weird reason, you don't feel like you've been giving the per permission to like, so like the, the reason I do like rock climbing and snowboarding and skiing, like that shit was scary. And, and I, I'm going to be doing it this winter and, you know, and interesting country, and but scary, like, right? Yeah. Interesting and scary. And I, and I do that because I know there's not a lot of these habits that I have. You don't see people like me doing well or succeeding in those things who look like me. And I want to give people the permission to be like, you can do it. Like I've done it. You can do it. That's very like shallow. Cause like, there's obviously like, you know, financial gatekeeping. There's so many things that kind of stop you. But if one of those things stopping you is like your permission or haven't seen someone else do it, that's relatable. Like I'm trying to at least break that part down. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey man, I think this might be a good, good, uh, uh, good time to, uh, to end the conversation. <laughs> uh, okay. you know, not, not that you said anything wrong, but it's just like, no, I, I know, feel like I know. this is a good, good time to bookend it. So, Michael, yeah, what's the best place for people to find you on the internet oh, or where you would like to be found? Yeah, everything is basically, um, comes down to my Twitter at Michael Kritz. Um, you can find out when I'm streaming there. Um, you can find all the content I'm probably doing through that. Um, I sometimes will stream on Twitch playing Magic the Gathering or some other game every now and then, but you'll know through my tw Twitter. I'm trying to get everybody Instagram, but Instagram has been touch and go because, um, yeah, my, my, my former relationship, like, you know, I, I'm trying to navigate that and, and have to deal with that. So, but yeah, um, Michael Kurtz, basically everything and everywhere. Um, and that's where you can find me. Um, you can find me like on those podcasts that I mentioned, Faith Forge Academy podcast. We have an episode every Friday and then nuts and bolts podcasts where we have an episode every week. Um, I think that's generally the content I have coming down the pipeline. Oh, and into the motherlands is coming back. Um, I hope we announce it. Cause like our first episode, I think is not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday. So you can catch me on, uh, that I believe it's on Cypher of tears channel, but we should be, we're probably going to be like front page Twitch again when, when that happens. So those are generally the places you can catch me. Uh, please hit me up if you ever have any questions or, uh, about anything that I've been into and are trying to get into that type of stuff. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Michael, for your time. Thank you, brother. It's been, a, it's been a great conversation and uh, I wish yeah. you, uh, I wish you all the best and ha wish you, uh, uh, an excellent evening where you are. I appreciate you. Thank you. Uh, you as well.